Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for July of 2020. Uh, this is episode 261, and joining me today are Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees. Hey guys, welcome back. Hey. 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 All right. So, so the, just to give people who are opening this video, especially on YouTube for the first time, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the first hour or so reviewing the astrology of the past several weeks, and especially the the last quarter, since this is the end of the second quarter of 2020. And then in, a, in about an hour or so, we're going to jump into looking in detail at the astrology of July. So if you want to skip the review and just jump straight to the forecast, then just look for the timestamp, which should be in the description just below this video or on the astrologypodcast.com website in the entry for this episode. Otherwise, um, let's get into it. So we wanted to frame this episode partially by breaking the year up into quarters into the four quarters, which consist of three months each. So we just completed the second quarter of 2020, and now we're moving into the third quarter of the year, which will consist of July, August, and September. So why don't we start by doing a little bit of review, having just finished the second quarter? Does that sound good or sound, sound appropriate to you guys? Yeah, and it's especially appropriate because the very first thing that happens in July on July 1st is that Saturn moves back into Capricorn. And so we had this preview period of Saturn and Aquarius almost exactly um, encapsulating the second quarter. And so there is, you know, that the the quarterly the quarterly division always makes some sense, but it makes extra sense this year. And that's something we talked about a lot in our our yearly ahead was mm. like we get this preview period of Saturn and Aquarius almost exactly um, in closing Q2, and we're leaving that. So a lot has happened, and uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's worth uh, thinking about both astrologically and otherwise. Yeah. So, so quarter one was very much focused on the Saturn Pluto conjunction in Capricorn, the Mars Saturn conjunction in Capricorn, uh, or almost in Capricorn, the co presence, the Jupiter Pluto conjunction in Capricorn, and so on and so forth. And a lot of that ended uh, somewhat abruptly when Saturn moved into Aquarius. And Saturn in Aquarius uh, became basically like the dominant signature of the second quarter of the year, especially because this became the first time that Saturn was coming into an orb of squaring Uranus. And I think a lot of what we saw over the past few months had a lot to do with that Saturn square Uranus, as well as um, some of the triggers of Venus being retrograde for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, which recently stationed direct just a few days ago. Mm -hmm. what you yeah, and so the and so that Saturn um, Saturn in Aquarius is really it's quite relevant and uh, to the future as well as just the last few months because mm. even though Saturn's moving back into Cap for the second half of 2020, it's going to be in Aquarius for all 2021 and all of 2022, and it's going to be squaring Uranus and on a on a bigger level, on a more um, Tarnasian macro historic <laughs> um, sort of level. We're going from we 
we're going from Saturn Pluto, which we have to finish up this year, into a couple years of Saturn Uranus. And those are very different vibes. Um, and we got a we got a preview of that during Q2. And so, you know, on a very simple level, Saturn Pluto is confinement, right? It's confinement, not enough room to move, walls are too thick, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas um, on a very simple level, Saturn Uranus is, um, there's a conflict, right? Whereas Pluto will intensify that Saturnian control thing. Um, Uranus, uh, Uranus is rebellious, right? We have the, in a sense, we have the rule maker and the rule breaker getting uh, locked together in a little jar and shaken. And so we have a very different energy. It's very rebellious, right? And so, you know, we saw a little bit of a uh, little bit of rebellion, a uh, <laughs> little bit of um, not being not feeling so patient with uh, with the rules as uh, as written and enforced over this uh, this last couple months, especially this last month. And that is not that is not confined solely to June. Right. That that's a signature we're going to do all 2021, all 2022. Right. Yeah. So when we say that quarter two is like it was the Saturn in Aquarius kind of quarter, it was all the associated aspects that go with that and the qualities in terms of that, you know, quality about protest and even pandemic. You know, these are two words that we could link into that type of aspect. And we're going to see, you know, well, quarter two was in some ways a preview of some of the themes that we will explore more, we will see continue in 2021 when Saturn comes back to Aquarius and reconnects with Uranus in Taurus. Sure. Yeah, and I, I would one one thing that I, I would also add um, about next time we do this when we because we, we talked a lot about this is going to be a preview. Uh, this is going to be you know a couple months of preview. We should watch this because it has implications for the near future. Um, one of the, one of the things that we said that's worth remembering is that this preview was harsher than actually doing those years is going to be because Saturn entered Aquarius with Mars and there yeah. was, um, there was Mars co-presence for, I don't know, for six weeks of that. And so, yeah. you know, that's the super hard version. Um, and when we come back to Saturn Aquarius square Uranus, um, at the end of this year, and then for the next year, we have, we're going to have Jupiter there with Saturn and Aquarius, um, which is much more solution oriented, or maybe there's some hope oriented, <laughs> right? Um, and so we've seen like the harsh version and that's good. I think it's laid out a lot of problems It hasn't necessarily, um, magically transported us to the world of instant solutions. Um, but the problem problems have to be laid out and recognized on a large scale level, um, you know, well ahead of solutions. And so, you know, I think that, that this preview did a good job of laying out some problems and getting people to recognize them. Yeah. I mean, Oh, go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say, yeah, with the Mars component that we've had that's very unique, like the Mars, Saturn, Uranus sort of combination in qu second quarter 2020, we've had an incredibly inflammatory, you know, we've had a very volatile, like sort of the most volatile iteration of that. And I think that's a great point to keep in mind that you're making, Austin, that, you know, Jupiter is going to have, you know, longer term 
aims in mind when Jupiter comes with Saturn and there is, it's maybe it's less inflammatory and more, um, as you say, kind of solution, look, looking to solution in a, in a, I don't know what the best word there is, like a structured or a clear kind of way, less reactive, less, uh, less with that heat. Yeah. Well, Jupiter is, uh, Jupiter is, um, uh, always tries to help, you know, might not be able to, might not have good ideas. Um, but, um, you know, Jupiter is, uh, Jupiter tries to be constructive. Yeah. Right? And so, whereas that's not, that's not necessarily Mars's first move. And it's, um, <clears throat> you know, what's interesting is that there, there's a, actually, so there's a lot of Saturn story here. We're using that as the primary framing. And I think that's right. But there is, there was, is, will be, has been a very strong Marshall uh, component to this story. <clears throat> you know, we had the, the Mars co-present basically sharing uh, Aquarius with Saturn um, from, let's see, uh, April 1st to the middle of May. And then, you know, we got done with the Mars co-presence and that was interesting because we, we had, um, we had suggested that the Mars Saturn co-presence would time, uh, would time the period of like full total lockdown and that things would start easing after that. And that ended up being the right timing trigger. Good on us. Um, but then after that, Mars didn't disappear, right? Mars went into Pisces and was like, Oh, you know, Oh, Pisces is so gentle. (laughs) We won't have any, we won't have any, uh, there won't be any conflict here. Um, but Mars was, um, deeply conf- deeply and importantly configured to our venus retrograde story right because what's interesting is we got mm-hmm. done with the mars saturn co-presence mid-may within a day venus stationed retrograde in gemini and then that that took us from mid-may until a day and a half ago so that was really the second half of the second quarter and one of the things that we we talked about and that we we agreed that we we undersold just because there was so much happening in June was the fact that the <clears throat> the the dead center of the Venus retrograde, which is the Venus's conjunction with the retrograde conjunction with the Sun, that inferior conjunction, was exactly square Mars, right? Mm. And so, and that was that was a big signature. And there's other Mars things too, but that was huge, and that was at the beginning of the month. Um, and that, that, uh, that was certainly connected to some, some, some action, right. Uh, all over the world, right. We had protests over injustice, um, not just in the United States and, you know, all the major American cities and a a number of minor American cities, but that, um, that, 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 that threat of protest went, uh, was all over the world, right. Yeah, I mean, it became a, a worldwide phenomenon of of pushing against established structures of in, of injustice and systemic inequities and racism, which um, was a great manifestation of the Saturn Uranus square. It was it was like pushing against something that was terrible and like not good, but then at the same time there was a feeling of of progress or of some change of of the world being on the verge of some change or being able to enact some change which seemed hopeful and i think cuz we we focused on that lunar eclipse at the beginning of the month in sagittarius as being somewhat optimistic and while there was definitely more tension surrounding it because of the square with mars 
than maybe we even stated or anticipated. Um, that feeling of optimism was still there to some extent that that something had shaken free finally when it came to some of those things. Yeah, well, and that that <clears throat> just in terms of that Mars thread, that was that was important. And I, again, I think we underemphasized it because mm-hmm. it was we had the the Venus Sun conjunction exactly square Mars, and then we had the lunar eclipse where the Sun and Moon were exactly square Mars. Right, and so that that was, um, you know, it was, it was a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Those those were big big things, and there was a lot of big stuff at the end of this month. You know where we are now, what we're just getting to, that um, you know are important, and I don't regret us talking about these things, but I do think we 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 kind of flashed over the beginning of the month. There's a lot of a lot of big mm-hmm. moves. A lot. Yeah. In in hindsight, you know, looking at that first week of June, you know, through the review mirror, it's like, oh yeah, there's like three different major Mars activations in a four or five day period, including that square to the eclipse. And that just brings all of that heat, Uh, you know, and Austin in our, one of our pre-show chats, you know, we're talking about Mars in Pisces and that idea of, you know, the fight, but with, Jupiter and Capricorn, it's it's the fight of, you know, feeling something, you know, very unjust or, or structurally unfair that is is needing to be some heat raised about it, basically. Like the right, Mars right, in Pisces right. with Jupiter and Capricorn combination. Yeah, with Jupiter, yeah, because it's not just Mars and Pisces. It was Mars and Pisces. Pisces is ruled by Jupiter. Let's look at Jupiter, right? And so you know, we have, um, I mean, um, a lot, again, a lot happened in June, but the the spark, right, was the unjust use of force, and that mm. is Mars, mm. right? Violence and force is Mars. Um, and if we're looking, just looking at Mars, right, it's like, oh, it's in Pisces, but it's Pisces uh, with, uh, with its ruler being fallen, right? Mm. Um, a planet that is in Pisces is ruled by Jupiter. It's supposed to be trying to do the right thing. Um, to be to be just, compassionate, high-minded, you know, all that good Jupiter stuff. But Jupiter is um, Jupiter's in a place where in Capricorn it is highlighting and conjunct Pluto. It is highlighting in many ways its opposite. That's what Pluto does, right? It show it does the the funhouse mirror to a planet. Be like, here is the opposite of justice, right? Here is the opposite of. Um, you know, uh, of well-run and ethical institutions. Yeah. Right. And so there, there was that connecting piece right there. One of the interesting things we were struggling with trying to delineate last month was like Mars in Pisces conjunct Neptune. And we were coming up with archetypal delineations of like some, um, uh, like, like walking into the waves with like a sword or some, um, indistinct, like noxious gas or something like that. And um, so much of this month and so many of the images of this month ended up being images of like protesters getting tear gassed and things like that. And that ended up being a really interesting literal literal manifestation of um, that transit, which was in effect most of the month. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It was um, um, unpleasantly literal. And then we had uh, we also had you know such wacky events as Poland accidentally invading the Czech Republic. Well, what happened with that? Yeah, um, they they 
Well, Kelly, did you you probably heard more about that that being a um, couple hundred miles rather than several thousand miles yeah. away. I didn't hear much about it, actually. I thought it was a hilarious, um, well, I mean, not hilarious, but it's just one of those weird, like, how does that happen kind of incidences. Yeah, they apparently, yeah, there were some, some Polish forces that um, weren't aware of the border or the border was um, badly defined. And they like took possession of a church and people were trying in the Czech Republic and um, some Czech citizens were trying to go to the church and the Polish troops turned them away. But yeah, it was, it, which is, you know, technically they annexed a very small piece of the Czech Republic and then said, oops, but that's also, you know, that's very, that's as Mars Neptune as you can get. Um, sorry, we accidentally invaded you. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's very yeah. literal. Um, let's see what else there was. I was looking for one of the unexpected and really interesting developments that seemed almost like like biblical was the um, the tearing down of statues. Like, sounds like one of the most like old school delineations for something that I would read in like an ancient astrological text that you just think is like never going to be relevant again. And then suddenly it's it's relevant in this year with Saturn squaring Uranus and literally the sudden destruction, the tearing down of um, these symbolic representations of um, you know historical oppression and things like that. That's such a brilliant manifestation, I guess, probably primarily of Saturn and Aquarius squaring Uranus again. Yeah, the symbolism. Yeah, I would. I I would kind of want to connect that to eclipse symbolism you know because it, mm. it's literally the you know the eclipse is the the face you know the lights the sun and the moon especially the sun are connected to the the face or the visage of something and to to tear down a symbol right is very much like eclipsing um eclipsing an image but i haven't it'd be interesting to look at um like uh there aren't that many i i think of in the during uh, maybe 15 years ago during the Iraq business um when the statue of Saddam the statues of Saddam Hussein were taken down it'd be interesting mm. to look at and see if there were any similarities uh chart wise um mm -hmm. if there are any other crucial statue moments that people can think of <laughs> but yeah it doesn't happen right. very often mm. yeah uh it seemed really notable and like uh not not just notable but unique as a manifestation of of some energies that were happening in the past month um let's see other review things cuz i'm trying to go through everything else that happened over june i mean um one of the things that happened with the eclipse cuz the eclipse happened just to share the um chart again this is the planetary alignments uh, calendar that I showed for June, and we just had the middle of the Venus retrograde hitting very early at the very beginning of the month on the third, and we had the lunar eclipse happening on the fifth in Sagittarius. Um, but one of the things, of course, in the news, and one of the people that was mentioned in the last episode, Kelly, you had mentioned uh, Breonna Taylor and her, and her mm -hmm. murder at the hands of police, and. Then there was a lot of discussion about her, an attempt to push her story more to the forefront of the news in order to seek justice for that. And that eclipse ended up coinciding with her birthday then on the 5th, and everyone was pushing to um, 
you know, get some sort of justice for that and to spread her name more at that time. And her name was sort of everywhere on that day. And it fell on her birthday on that eclipse then on the 5th, which, which was kind of stunning to see from an astrological perspective as well as just, you know, as a, from a human perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, was right? Really striking. Oh, and yeah, that even after she's been killed, there's so much activity that seems to be then tying into to her that seems to happen on a weird astrological cycle. And and you know, nobody has still yet been charged with her murder. So that's sort of still an ongoing situation. But there was a real sense of of trying to keep her name and her story in the collective awareness around that time. Right. I just I remember seeing videos like that day of just thousands of protesters saying her name and mm. there was something really striking about that on her on her birthday and then it turned out I I went back and looked and she was born on a Sagittarius lunar eclipse just within a day of one so I was just thinking mm. about some of the deeper meaning of that from a astrological perspective and something I'd seen before in other cases like with Vincent van Gogh that sometime sometimes for some reason our charts can sort of echo on in eternity when we come up again in the future, um, even once we've passed away, uh, for various reasons. When we still continue to be important to humanity or in, in consciousness for some reason. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's and it's a it, you know um, it's a good example of. I should say you know there's been some talk about. Um, how sort of the use and abuse of astrology in relationship to, um, you know, in, in relationship to what's happening in the world and how we use astrology to think about it and frame it. Um, and, you know, there's been some criticism, which I agree with, that uh, astrology can be can be used to sort of look at the astrology instead of, uh, instead uh, as a way of, as a, uh, should we say, as a form of pathological distancing. Mm. from the world but astrology can also can also provide greater how should we say greater depth of immersion and understanding right and i think that like seeing you know you see brianna taylor's chart and birthday and the events of this year her murder the 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 seeking for justice all of that like the astrology folds into and deepens that right that's not a that's not a way of ignoring her it's actually a way of it's you know it, it it becomes there's even more there with astrology mm. and mm. you know that that's one of the things that i mean at the beginning of june feels like a million years ago that was one of the things that that came up and that i thought a lot about and you know how to how to make sure that we're using astrology to as we say stay in touch um even better rather than you know using it to ignore things yeah or um, being sort of like glib about it and like looking at something inappropriately or even putting the wrong spin on it. Like there's certainly um, sort of the potential to make errors or to do things in a not tactful way anytime you're doing that. But also, you know, astrologers also sometimes, even in their personal lives, are able to see a greater sense of like meaning and purpose when they approach things from that perspective. And that's often why they're trying to approach it from that perspective, even if sometimes it runs the risk of over-intellectualizing something that needs to be felt on sort of like a heart level. Yeah, and it's tricky. 
because <clears throat> um, getting distance from things is sometimes very helpful, mm. right, on a personal level. And then sometimes it's exactly the opposite of helpful. And so there's not a there's not a there's not a, a simple answer where which is just always do it you know always do it this way. It's um, I think as an astrologer, it's something you it's a, it's it's something <clears throat> it's it's an open question, and you just leave that question open and take every situation and conversation on a case by case basis, right? At least that's that's what I think. That's how I feel mm. about it. Sure. I mean, for for me, I remember back when my um, younger sister passed away, like looking at and seeing her chart and how some of the eclipses had tied into the circumstances surrounding her her death uh, was helpful for me as like part of my grieving process. So that's one of the reasons I understand and relate when astrologers sometimes jump there, even. Um, for celebrities when they're trying to like seek meaning or answers for for something um, and have some sympathy even if sometimes they stumble or don't do it as like um, well perhaps as they they could or should yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay um where in terms of review I mean should we go from here I think we did definitely want to just emphasize, in terms of quarter two, it's like we went into quarter two with this huge feeling of like restriction and fear, and the pandemic numbers were shooting up and the death numbers were shooting up. And a lot of that was coming off of the huge set of conjunctions that happened in late Capricorn and then early Aquarius. Then we moved into Saturn and Aquarius, sort of weird um, internet zone where everybody was. Isolated and yet seeking connections with each other as best as they could through technology, through things like Zoom, like we're doing right now, and other things. And then, as we correctly sort of assumed, things began to loosen up, and there was this push for a lessening of the restrictions in May once Mars departed from Aquarius and completed the conjunction by sign with Saturn. And um, we started also to see some of the Saturn Uranus co conjunction come or square coming out because then there was also some initial sort of small protests of people like protesting against the quarantine restrictions and things like that. Um, and then Venus went retrograde, and then we saw a second and much greater and much more significant wave of protests focusing on um, racial injustice and systemic oppression and things like that. In June, um, again, still probably really tied in with the Saturn Uranus square and to some extent, maybe the Venus retrograde and then the eclipse that took place in Sagittarius. And that's, I think, one of the points that we wanted to make was just a lot of that or some of those themes, like that Saturn Uranus square didn't even go exact yet. It's just mm -hmm. the Saturn Uranus square coming into orb, and we won't get the first exact square until what, sometime next year? February. Yeah. February twenty twenty one. February twenty twenty one. Yeah, it'll it it gets uh, it gets activated um, pretty immediately next year by Mars again. Yes. Our buddy Mars. Yeah, our friend Mars is going to take on an aggravational role in twenty twenty one, or persist in an persist with role. that. Yeah. Um. You know what? One of our one of our July 
um, topics, of course, will be Mars in Aries. The first of six months of Mars in Aries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, July comes in pretty hot with some planetary changes right at the top of the month. Yeah, yeah. and so do you guys want to transition right there, or are we ready to transition well, uh, in July? Or should we let's focus maybe dwell more a little bit on the future? A, a little bit more on Saturn uh, in mm. Aquarius. Um, because so there is, you know, um, there's the protest, uh, protest energy, right? That's very clear. Um, and then there is everything, you know, everything moving online, right? Um, it's almost like, uh, uh I was thinking about it. It's, it reminds me of, um, it's the word like, uh, like, um, the internet filling up with refugees from the, from the physical world, right? It's like, can't do business got to see what I can do online. Right. Or, you know, it's literally fleeing the, um, the difficulties of the difficulties and stresses and impossibilities, uh, of the physical world. You know, it's like the internet flooding with refugees. Um, and so, and that's true for business, but it's also true for education, right? The, all of the institutions of higher, higher and lower and medium and non-vertical metaphor education, um, you know, everybody's gone online and there's actually, um, let's see, I just saw in the news a couple days ago, someone, one of the students is suing Harvard, um, because they, mm. you know, they're like, I'm not paying $70,000 a year to go to zoom meetings, right? Which is a pretty reasonable, I mean, some zoom meetings are really fantastic, <clears throat> but, um, you know, in general, like the, the, you know, someone's like, this is not, this is not what I thought I was buying. And it's the, you know, with us, that Saturn Uranus, um, that, you know, Uranus challenging, um, shocking, provoking, catalyzing structural issues, right? With Saturn Uranus, um, you know, some of the, there have been um, lingering or actually there have been like slow moving issues that are, that have been accumulating with higher education, especially in the United States. Right, the cost being inflated, 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 inflated over the last twenty years, and you know, and the the Uranus, um, <clears throat> the Uranus squaring Saturn is a bit of a spark. It's a it it again it catalyzes an issue that was already there. Like the cost was already inflated. People have been having problems with that, um, but now you know, uh, but now you have the, the yeah. Anyway, now you have a spark um, to yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna drink some more coffee. My words aren't working as well as I would like them to. Yeah, same here. Um, one of the things, speaking of that, Saturn and Aquarius and the internet. One of the things I think I meant to do last month, but I can't remember. I may have actually not done it. Was um, put up the chart of the launch of the World Wide Web. Did I share that last month, or yeah, was that just during my Norwalk talk? I'm sure we shared it in in a podcast episode either last month or the month before. Okay. I don't think um, it was last month. There was a little bit of a follow-up on that because the chart that I shared previously for, was when Tim Berners-Lee in 1991 um, in Switzerland, he when he announced the World Wide Web on like a discussion forum, and that chart had zero Sagittarius rising. But I was looking into oh, it more. Yeah. There, there's actually somebody, I'll, I'll look up her name quickly because it was um, a listener of the show who shared this with me from an old like Time magazine article 
But this was the chart about an hour earlier for the launch of the very first website on the World Wide Web. And I thought it was really interesting. It's set for August 6, 1991 at 2.56 p.m. in Geneva, Switzerland. And the chart has 18 Scorpio rising with Pluto right on the ascendant at 17 Scorpio. Um, there's a little stellium in, in Virgo with the midheaven at 2 Virgo, Mercury at f- uh, 5 Virgo, Venus at 6 Virgo, Mars at 13 Virgo, uh, a Sun-Jupiter conjunction in the 10th whole sign house, the Moon in Gemini in the 8th, and Saturn placed at two degrees of Aquarius in the fourth whole sign house. So I'd been like emphasizing and talking about this a lot. Originally, actually, Sam Reynolds was the one that shared this chart with me for the one for an hour later, basically, when this guy announced the World Wide Web and the existence of it. Um, but it means that what part of what we've been seeing in the second quarter of 2020 is the Saturn return of the internet. And Mm -hmm. it's been interesting seeing how some of these themes and trends were already happening. It's like people were already using Zoom and people were already using online forums or or taking classes online and other things like that. But what happened is like a crisis, which is suddenly accelerating uh, the adoption of some of these things. Even for me personally, like um, I know I've had the ability and my bank rolled out the ability to just scan checks and deposit them like that um you know over the past few years without having to go into a branch but i always always just felt better like walking into the branch and depositing all of my checks every once in a while and that's what i did until recently i just couldn't do that anymore because they don't have any open branches and they basically make you deposit them online so it sort of forced me to download this app and install it and mm-hmm. scan the checks and realize how easy it was and it took like 5 minutes and it was done. So now I'll probably do that from this point forward, maybe even for the rest of my life. But I wouldn't have done it probably if not prompted with that necessity to, with sort of being forced into adopting that new technology. And I feel like that's one of the major themes that we're seeing come out with this early preview of Saturn and Aquarius is a crisis leading to the push to adopt new technologies and to accelerate the move to adopt them faster perhaps than they would have happened otherwise yeah yeah well it's um yeah the uh, on a very simple level the adoption of the new is accelerated because the old isn't just isn't just worn down it's broken or no longer available and you know one of the one of the larger um the uh, probably the largest um astrological framing device for 2020 is this shift out of you know a 200 ish year jupiter saturn mm-hmm. cycle um the earth cycle into a new 200 ish year air cycle and the you know you can really see what's coming under criticism what's you know what's breaking etc cetera, etc cetera. a lot of these things aren't just recent developments you know we're like you know uh, to go back to the the floyd protests and, and everything that came out of that 
you know, the the structures and institutions that are being critiqued, that, that shit wasn't invented, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. We're looking at things with a couple, you know, with centuries of depth. And that's what's coming, you know, that's what's coming under critique. And that, you know, that that's that's what the Jupiter Saturn cycle is supposed to tell us, right? We're literally shifting out of and doing this, you know, really um you know, sort of painful review of the, <laughs> all of the horrors of the last couple hundred years. Right. And you, you can see that as in that, that like that bigger shift as an undercurrent to, <clears throat> you know, to the, to the moments this year. Right. It's not just like, yeah, it's not, it's, it, yeah, I, I made my point. I won't over talk it. What do you think, Kelly? Yeah. To pick up on the, yeah, the education and technology piece is really interesting because this has been happening, as you mentioned, Austin, at all levels of education. So university is a, a particular beast uh, because there's a lot more money that uh, changes hands, you know, if you like from the individual to the institution. But even primary, elementary, grade school, you know, having to try and, you know, teach or educate in some form five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and nine-year-olds online has been part of the learning experience, maybe not everywhere, but in many places in this last few months, in this in this second quarter. And it has highlighted the possibilities of what, you know, learning online can look like. It's highlighted, you know, I've because of my husband's position, we've had some really interesting discussions about how some children who are quite shy in a group of 25 or 30 kids and may not be vocal or may not participate in team activities have really sort of shone or thrived when they've been able to use technology to express themselves or they've been able to work maybe individually with technology. So if, for instance, the difference between standing up in front of a room of 30 people live and presenting versus recording your five or your seven minute talk and then sharing it it's allowed some children to really thrive. So there's been, it's sort of, it's really challenging educational norms and accepted practices, but it's also highlighted some of the inequities around if you put everything online, does every child have access to the internet or does every child have access to a technological device that they can use for their uh, schooling? Because that's not true in every household and in every situation. So it's it's like there's this potential, but with that Saturn Uranus square vibe, there is there are still many kinks in the system that need to be explored or uh, you know figured out. Uh, but it, it it's sort of like that sense of a preview of of what could go or and if we go in that direction, what are some of the problems we're going to have to come up with solutions for? Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the other themes that I've seen come up that I think is going to become a bigger thing over the next two to three years is it's been interesting. Um, you know, when the internet was started, and so much of its early history was its openness, and and that's one of the things that really helped with its adoption and its proliferation was just that it was an open system, and um, and the ability to access information freely for the most part, or to have the um, Proliferation and the spread of information and knowledge uh, much more widely than you could at any other time in history. Um, but one of the issues I've noticed coming up over the past few months is struggles to 
um, put rules and sort of limitations on things and to question what the boundaries are or when websites do have to put rules and stop certain types of information from being spread. Um, so we've seen some of that with like YouTube and other sites banning um, what they th- what became labeled as like misinformation about COVID and um, videos that were seen as like not good or were spreading um, false conspiracies about it or something like that. And they started cracking down on some of those videos for the first time and saying, no, that type of content isn't allowed. And while I didn't have personally like much objection to that, I could see at some point if that becomes a broader theme as part of Saturn in Aquarius and the first Saturn return of the internet, if astrology couldn't end up sort of in a problematic place on some of these sites as well. Like at what point does astrology, which is usually labeled as a pseudoscience, run up against um, attempts to control or stop the spread of, of disinformation if, if it gets labeled as such. It's one of the things that made me a little bit nervous about that trend towards um, you know, trying to stop the flow of misinformation. Yeah, it's it is really interesting to think about that as like I mean we've we've mentioned it before but just to have that reminder of, you know, the Saturn return of the internet and how is it going to be I don't know, restructured if you like. What are what are going to be the rules here in the future and mm-hmm. how is that, you know, is it going to be restrictive or is it going to have some safety elements or is it, you know, swinging between both? Yeah, because it's like well, I've and seen also, it. It's been opened up ahead. more than that. It wasn't just restrictions against like COVID misinformation, but now recently there's been also like certain sites like Twitter putting warnings in front of like some of Trump's tweets that uh, things that were misinformation or or that had been labeled as misinformation were suddenly being called out on that platform, which suddenly led to like indignation about politicizing the platform or or whatever. And that seems like it might be a theme that we see come back next year and become um, an even bigger, like ongoing discussion about the rules and limitations of the internet and when content um, platforms have an obligation to like police their content to some extent that it, that is put out by their mm. users. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I think that'll be front page news. On the non-existent newspapers um, <laughs> for uh, for the next couple of years, uh, and I would also add to that, you know, to, you know, in a, in a way, you know, so we've had this sort of like everything is forced online, uh, or not everything, but as much as possible has been pushed um, online over the last couple of months, and <clears throat> you know, in addition to formal rules and restrictions or obligations. There's, <clears throat> there's also the, how should we say, it, it, I think it's become increasingly obvious to everyone that if we're all going to be on the internet, we all have to learn to be on the internet together and that like social norms, um, you know, <laughs> that social norms, customs, um, uh, how should we say, expectations of, <sighs> expectations, I don't want to say politeness, but like respect um, have not caught up with how many people are on the internet, right? The internet's sort of like, it was this place 
where you would where people would go and blow off steam or pretend to be somebody else or you know you know just vent right and it's when everybody's on the internet and it's just like another layer of society it's not this extra place right it's just part of the place that the people live right and our social norms haven't really caught up to that but they're going to kind of have to right both in that formal sense that you were describing chris but as well as just on a relational sense mm. you know people say sure. things online they would never say to another person uh in you know um, in, in real life, face-to-face. -face. Right. As the internet becomes more of not a secondary, like minor means of communication, but in some instances as our primary or only means of communication and interaction with the outside world or with whatever our community is at large, like one's identity may be becoming more relevant in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so as we continue to go through and sort of wrap up um, June, I mean, one of the things that happened was the Venus retrograde, and Venus has just stationed a few days ago on the 25th of June. So we're now finally coming out of the Venus retrograde territory. Did you guys have any observations about that, either public or like personal ones in your own lives? Um, I have a hilarious story that I told you both privately that I'm not going to tell. Um, <laughs> let's just say I, I that a, there were yeah. there 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 were um, there was some hilarious um, romance gone awry um, moments for with Kate and I. We planned a very nice evening, and and uh, hilarious Venus retrograde things happen that I will tell anyone in person if we ever go to another conference again. Um, ask me about it, and I will probably tell you this story in real life. Yeah. I mean, we had, because um, Gemini's fourth house for me, and we had just almost like a cliche retrograde planet in the fourth house. We had a repair required on our home back in Canada. You know, the tenants sort of let us know this, this thing is not working. So we're calling the repair people from Belgium to Canada. A part's going to be needed. Oh, the part's going to take a while to get here. So it was just almost one of those cliche Problem comes up around the house area. It's fixable, but there's going to be a delay because we've got this retrograde planet there. Um, what about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, it was really pretty notable for me. I had a ton of fourth house stuff because my IC is there in early Gemini at five degrees of Gemini, which is where Venus actually stationed direct. But pretty much the entire Venus retrograde for me was a lot of fourth house stuff. Um, some of that's like tied in overlapping with this Saturn transit because Saturn going into Aquarius is then my waxing Saturn square and it's in my first house and then for, therefore squaring all of my angular whole sign houses and stuff like that. So it's a little hard to disentangle completely from that. But as some of the fourth house I see things I was having was like learning more about my father who passed away when I was very young and like what his life was like and background and more hearing more about. Um, his life story from initially my mother, but then randomly late in the Venus retrograde, my uncle, who was my father's brother, who had only seen like once other one other time in the past 20 years, about like 12 years ago, just decided to come out to Colorado for a vacation a couple of weeks ago. And he brought like his two children, who was like um his daughter and his son. So I met my uh cousins for the first time ever. And 
yeah, that was really weird. And then I was able to talk to my uncle about more about my father and learn more about him. And it was very Venus retrograde stationing on my IC. At the same time, my mom found the birth certificate of my older brother who passed away in infancy. And it was one of the one birth times of my entire family that I'd never had. And she just randomly found it um, somewhere just a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago. Again, Venus stationing on my IC and like completing that last piece of like my family tree astrologically. Um, weirdly, and this is funny and more relevant for the podcast, Venus stationed direct in the day that um, the lunar eclipse happened in Sagittarius. It was at 15 degrees of Sagittarius and it was conjunct my Venus at 15 degrees of Sagittarius, and that's the ruler of my fourth whole sign house. And just outside my window, they started taking down the scaffolding where, starting last August, they had put up this scaffolding and then very loudly had been doing construction on my walls just outside my window for just months and months and months from eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, six days a week. And you could hear the clanking and the drilling and stuff on some of the episodes of the podcast going back to, I think, our forecast in like August or September when they first started doing the construction randomly during our episode. And all of a sudden, with that Venus retrograde stationing on my IC and the eclipse happening on the ruler of my fourth, suddenly that ended and it just like dissolved outside of my window and suddenly I can like see outside the window again for the first time in almost a year which was pretty pretty insane quite revelatory it's so yeah. good I'm so that I know that that's been torturing you and it and it ruining a lot of sleep for you and Lisa yeah like we basically were just not getting sleep and it was rough for almost a, a year now so having the Venus retrograde removing some of those things and sort of revisiting that and remembering what it was like to like be able to look outside the window was a nice nice thing that happened um and it was initially making me a little bit nervous about seeing the fourth house significations come out more with venus retrograding in the ic sign and thinking about the fourth quadrant house and that whole issue about quadrant versus whole sign houses but it's really complicated just because I'm in a 12th house perfection year. So if you perfect from Gemini, which is the sign that contains my IC, it then goes to Taurus. So Venus gets activated as the ruler of the year relative to the IC sign. So it's it's like not as clean as I would like it to be. And there's like overlapping reasons why that Venus retrograde would be so important in different ways for fourth house things, in addition to the lunar eclipse on my natal Venus. Yeah. Well, I mean, Venus rules your fourth, right? So big Venus action, fourth house action. Um, right. Yeah. Not, not, a, not a great, not a great example, but in, in some ways it's, um, it's a great example in the sense that no matter, regardless of which house system, um, or style of house system you used, it would still point to fourth house things for you. And you kind of got all of it right. Home, home and family. Right. Yeah. Um, and and then speaking of because you know finding the chart of my brother was wild because then there was this Jupiter transit that went exact in his chart where it was like transiting Jupiter hitting the degree exact the minute of the ruler of his ascendant the day that I got the birth time and again that that theme or that idea of like your birth chart living on even after you die because 
you still live on in other people's memories in some way or other people's consciousness. And when that comes up again, mm. your chart getting activated for some reason. There's a whole like aspect to that in astrology that I'd really love to explore more, although obviously it can be very hard to research. Yeah, I mean the 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 piece about family history is really relevant and I had a couple of things on that front Chris you know that you're speaking to and it sort of reminds me this time around too you know this Venus uh retro in Gemini did have that Mercury rulership in Cancer like particularly in June um towards the end of the Venus retrograde I called up two of my aunts who were mother type figures for me when I was a child and I was calling them up and I said to each of them I have this memory of a story that you told us about our grandparents and I don't know if all the details are right and can you confirm for me, you know, the specifics. And so there was one memory that I had when my grandparents got married, my grandmother's Lebanese and my grandfather's English and I remember being told that when they got married neither of their parents attended the wedding because it was and I couldn't remember why and I'm like was that true and and why didn't they attend and uh, so, you know, I was able to get clarification about it was my grandfather's parents that didn't attend, but my grandmother's parents did. And it was because of religion, although ethnicity played a role in there as well. So it was just that sense of like vague, wow. vague family memories. And I was like, I want to clarify this and, you know, calling up. And then luckily we do have these sort of family historian type, um, aunts in the family who were able to say, well, this is exactly what happened and this is why. And, so it was really interesting to get that sense, you know, and for me it was it was fourth house in whatever house system you use, it would be I've got a Gemini IC2, um, but it is in the whole sign fourth as well. So okay. going back, not even to my parents, mm. but into my grandparents' experience. So that's been really interesting. I love that. That's really good. So you did you were able to clarify the reasons basically why or who was there yeah. and why? Why? And I thought it was both their parents that didn't attend, but it was just my grandfather's English parents that didn't attend. So my grandmother, who's Lebanese, her parents came. She was Catholic. And in at that time in Australia, in the, you know, um, the earlier part of the 20th century, being Catholic was apparently quite a scandal, or it certainly was to my uh, grandfather's family who are English, who were Protestant and, you know, very anti-Catholic. So it was just interesting to get some of those religious themes uh, coming through. And, you know, my aunt said, you know, grandma being Lebanese wouldn't have helped the situation. So there was a little bit of that um, ethnicity immigrant component as well there. So it was just interesting to feel like unraveling these little threads of stories that I'd heard and what was actually true and what were the reasons for it. So that's, I, I'm really happy about that because it's now started a dialogue around helping me better understand, you know, my family ancestry going back more than just, you know, mom and dad, which is super interesting. Was that something interesting for you this month with everything going on and and a lot of the discussion and, and reflections this month about race and like racism and having, realizing that some of that was in your family history in terms of tensions with, with family members, maybe not showing yeah. up due, due, to, due to reasons like that? Yeah, it just it it did make me question what is in my own background in regards to this and mm. I feel like there's still a lot more that I need to understand. Um but certainly trying to understand because I've always felt a real affinity with the immigrant experience and reminding myself that, you know, both my grandparents are immigrants. I mean, 
you know, they're Australian, so they are immigrants. They're not native Australian Aboriginal. They're not First Nations. They've come from somewhere at some point, but, you know, to find out the reasons why. So I still have more questions to go back. Um, Yeah. So just to understand, you know, I'd heard different experiences about my father being bullied for his ethnicity growing up. So just wanting to understand a little bit more about the nuances there. So that has been, yeah, I guess a personal experience of some of the collective uh, energy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's been, there's been a lot of um, really positive discussions I feel like that have come up about, and I think this has been positive for the astrological community um, in terms of centering more and having more discussions about race as like a relevant thing that that needs to be discussed in the astrological community. And seeing lots of astrologers reflecting on that seems like it's been a positive or constructive thing. Um, even though some of it's been difficult or painful or um, coming out of something that was was tragic or, or horrendous. Mm. Um, have you seen, yeah. I don't know, have you been reflecting on any of that, Austin, or what has your reaction been? Um, yeah, I've seen that. I've just been trying to pay attention and uh, think about things. And I, I guess... Um, what I'm seeing in the astrological community, but just in the world in general, is um, and what I <clears throat> what I take from, or one of the things that I take from all the protests and uh, and everything, uh, and just uh, all the discussion, all that is like at least we're. I feel like people are agreed on the problems, like the problems can be stated, and even if there aren't. Um, clear, easy to implement solutions, at least sort of the problem is laid out and people agree that there are problems, right? I don't see a lot of mm. agreement on on answers, but that, you know, that that comes next. Um, and uh, you don't get problems before you get, or excuse me, you don't get um, solutions before you get an agreement of what is the problem. Um, and so um, that's one of the positive things. That or I would say that's my main positive takeaway um, about the last month. You know, it's not like everything that happened was great, <laughs> right? There's a it's 2020. There's uh, it's uh, it's messy and difficult, but you know, it's like at least we can. And part of my thinking is like this, like uh, in that sort of quarterly framing and the Saturn Uranus framing is. Well, if we can at least agree on problems, then maybe when Jupiter comes around um, to join Saturn in Aquarius during that next go around, then maybe maybe that'll be a mm. solutions phase. Because I'm pretty um, I'm pretty bummed out by the second half of 2020, um, and so I'm I'm not hopeful for solutions um, to anything uh, <laughs> on a collective level. But you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of difficult stuff still ahead, and a lot of negative stuff that will continue. Um, but in terms of at least seeing like small incremental steps towards change, even in our own community, I feel like there's been some really promising things. Um, I felt really, it felt really cliche to use the phrase uh, in my discussion with Sam Reynolds earlier this month, but I actually have been doing like a lot of listening and learning, and just trying to shut up and hear people's experiences, and that's been really um eye-opening to me as like a white male in western american society because 
I don't have access to some of the same experiences. Um, and while that's like obvious, like we know that as astrologers on some level intellectually, like hearing other people's stories and struggles with things like racism mm. um, is really an important element that if you're not subject to it or you don't experience it, um, you need to be able to hear those stories directly from people in order to fully understand the scope and the extent of the issue. And, and I think um, part of the human condition, that's something I've been struggling with or, or thinking about a lot, especially as it relates to COVID, but also as it relates to racism, is that part of the human condition is not being able to fully empathize sometimes as well if you haven't experienced a hardship yourself. And that was something I was seeing come across in discussions with occasionally people who were like, well, I haven't gotten sick yet with COVID and nobody I know has gotten sick, so I, I don't think it's a big deal. Like If they weren't directly impacted by it, it wasn't as real for them in some tangible sense. I was almost seeing like a similar thing when it came to people having that as like a blind spot when it came to issues of racism. So that was one of the positive things to me where I felt like there was some change in terms of people paying more attention in the astrological community that seemed like a positive development in a, in a good direction. Did you guys feel like you saw some of those discussions as well, Kelly? Um, I mean, I, the discussions where just sort of trying to listen more to uh, people of color and their experiences, but particularly black people. Is that kind of what you're, you're asking, Chris? Like just the listening component of taking in more or hearing what people are saying? Um, yeah, and understanding that because even though we all, especially as white people or people that are passing as white or, or what have you, um, don't have that direct, direct experience. But if you're mm -hmm. talking to and listening to somebody and actually hearing what they're saying and paying attention, like you can develop a much better idea. But sometimes people don't pay as much attention as they should, or they have some like abstract idea that maybe racism still exists out there, but having not as much personal experience with it, they they don't really understand as much as they think that they do. Yeah, I think I think there is some yeah, I mean I'm just trying to get my thoughts together. Um just because you haven't experienced something for sure does not mean that it is not out there in the world. And I think that's why it has been eye-opening for some people in these last few weeks to have had their eyes open about things that they didn't personally experience or even maybe they benefited from, you know, if you have white privilege or you pass as white, you know, the way that things can be more helpful for you without you even realizing it. Right. Uh, I think it's been, yeah, it's been very eye-opening, you know, personally, but also just collectively and to have these conversations and to realize that uh, there's a lot that that needs to be done to uh, – make up for is not the right word. I think, you know, repair or to try to create something that might be genuinely equal or fair. And it, it, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, yeah. So it, it's, I guess it's been a starting point maybe. Yeah. Or, or even like one of the discussions I had at the beginning of the month, and it was, it was from seeing her talk at Norwalk, uh, was with Diana Rose Harper and just talking about different areas of, of privilege and maybe even a way that you could identify that with your chart as a blind spot of somewhere mm. where you've had positive things that have happened or come to you through no actions on your own part, and therefore it just becomes something you take for granted or 
um, don't realize is something that not everybody else has access to. Um, and having that awareness from an astrological perspective, I feel like was important and can lead to a deeper level of understanding um, about the human condition in general as an astrologer. But because of the nature of, of privilege, um, some people don't recognize that. And sometimes that word, even using that word, can like trigger people mm. or have them immediately reject the concept out of hand due to some preconception about what that means. All right. So yeah. um, should we transition into talking about how far through this are we? We're, we're what, an hour in? We're so about said an, we, hour in. an hour yeah. in. I said we would transition into um, talking about the astrology of July. Uh, we've got to do Number of news and announcements first. So, is this a good maybe stop transition or stopping point to do that? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, that that point was really interesting, um, and that's uh, about like just n knowing your own chart means knowing you know knowing where the benefics and the malefics and all that are. Like you know, <clears throat> if you know that and you read for other people as well, like you know where you're lucky and where you're not. You know where other people are lucky and where they're not, and that that's 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 a nice thing about spending a lot of time with astrology is that it it disabuses you of of that notion that like your normal is everyone's normal. It's like no, right. that's normal mm -hmm. for you because you have a Jupiter Venus conjunction in that house, right? Whereas um you know that's not normal if you look around you know you'll see somebody you'll see that that's that's abnormal and in many ways figuring out how we're luckier and unluckier than the average person um is part of what astrology is where you know we've we've got all these assumed things that are similar like everybody can get sick everybody will die everybody has some some good days and some bad days but where are the you know where where are the deviations from the baseline, and astrology is great for that. And that that's interesting to think about uh, in that larger sense that you were describing. Yeah, uh, just because it's so it can be so hard for people, and you don't realize it because it's a blind spot to otherwise realize those things that you take for granted, and mm -hmm. that that's a whole class of things that um, because you take them for granted, you can't sometimes identify. As unique until somebody points it out to you. And often that ends up being, for me, that was something I was struggling with. And I did in an early episode with Ben Dykes, it was like episode 19 or something like that on subjective versus objective reality, where I was continually running into this issue of clients of just them not being able to analyze their lives objectively because they didn't have like an objective standard to compare it to necessarily. Whereas mm. as an astrologer, having seen like hundreds of people with different charts and different life setups, you could easily see how this person's life was different in certain areas and they had certain um, instances of, let's say, privilege or whatever the opposite of privilege is in different areas and they were taking both for granted. Like If they had something really positive in one area, they would take it for granted that everybody had that positive thing. Or if they had something really negative that was a hardship for them, or a shortcoming, or um, something that was unfortunate, they would sometimes universalize that and just take it for granted that everybody everybody deals with that. Or it's like everybody has a bad relationship with, let, let's say, their parents, if that was the area where they struggled with, um, mm. not knowing that some people it's like the exact opposite or, or what have you. And you can apply that to any area of life or all twelve of the houses. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so why don't we move on? There was some stuff I wanted to make sure that we mentioned because there's a lot of like news and events and community things happening. One of the biggest things that's happening in July that I wanted to be sure that we gave a shout out to is um, the Queer Astrology Conference is happening July 10th through the 12th. And this is going to be an online conference that anybody can attend. Um, it's got an amazing lineup of speakers and a great core group of organizers. This is actually going to be the fourth conference that they've organized. Um, Austin, didn't you attend like one of the early ones? Or yeah, I attended you... the first one. It was the very first uh, one. Was, okay, yeah, it was in uh, San Francisco. I was that was um, you know um, back in the other universe of I think 2012, 2013. Okay. Um, and Back when the world yeah, that, didn't didn't end, right? Um, yeah, yet another apocalypse. Um, yeah, I was the uh, I was the uh, the, back then I was the president of the Association for Young Astrologers, uh, following you, and uh, we tried to we we promoted it, and it was just down well more than down the street, but it was local, so I was there. Nice. It was um, uh, it was it was great. And so, is it? Are they are are they doing every two years? Is that it, or is it a little bit more informal? I think it's a little bit more spaced out, just depending on like time and circumstances and who's organizing. Um, I did an interview way back in episode eighty three with Ian Waisler, who was the original, I think, like head organizer of the first queer mm -hmm. astrology conference and some of the follow ups, including there's a really great um, compilation of papers that they published afterwards that I really loved. That Ian edited with Raya Wolf. And we talked about that a little bit in episode 83. Um, but the other ones have been a bit more sporadic. It seems like there's a newer and younger group of people that's really taking charge and organizing this one. And I'm kind of excited about how they're doing it, both in organizing, um, bringing in more young people and bringing in a diverser audience, but also um, trying to diversify the um, lineup of talks and the topics as well. It's there are a lot of talks. Yeah, the speaker um, I, list. Yeah, it's a lot. Sorry, Austin, go. Oh, it's just you know, I was, um, I was just comparing it in my mind to that first one, where I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that the lineup was empty. There were just maybe I don't know six, seven, eight, definitely under ten speakers. Where it seems like there's a lot of talks and a lot of people this time. It seems like it, it has grown. Yeah, so um, you can find out more information about that at queerastrology.com. And um, yeah, they've already got registration up. There's a really great lineup of speakers. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the speaker page a little bit just to show it on the screen for those watching the video version. Uh, it's running like a little bit slow, um, but I've I noticed a lot of like younger astrologers who may not even be people that you see on the normal lecture circuit. And that's one of the cool things about this is I think they're trying to bring in more astrologers whose voices maybe hadn't been seen at other conferences or major conferences so far. Um, uh, yeah, just people I know, Daniel Bernal, Dion Mitchell, Danny Larkin, Drew Levanti, Arena Tudor, Hilary Spiteri, uh, Kira Tauburn is Kira actually here today? I know she was at the last uh, live recording of this. 
I think Irina might be here today. Yeah, Irina is joining us today. Um, Michael Morris, who I'm hoping to have on the show soon. Michael Bryan, who is really awesome. Yeah, there's just a great lineup of speakers. But um, like I said, that's happening July 10th through the 12th, 2020. You can find out more information at queerastrology.com. And um, yeah, I, there's like a few speakers who are going to be there that I didn't know were speaking at that, but they're going to be on the podcast this month. So hopefully we can promote it even more over the course of the next couple of weeks before it happens. Be nice coordination. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Other news and announcements that we've got going on. Um, this is actually the five-year anniversary. Did you guys realize that we've been doing these forecast episodes for five years now, ever since late June of 2015? I saw that in our prep notes and I was like, that's a typo. It's not been <laughs> five years yet. <laughs> but right. and then I was like, no, it was 2015. So it really has been five years. Hmm. It feels like five years. Does it? Okay. I don't know. It just feels like this has been life. Like this has been like a literally a regular monthly part of life for, I don't know. Let's see. I've lived, I lived three different places, I think since we began. Mm. So it's, or no, four different places. Right. So it's just sort of like, you know, it's just been a constant while a lot of other things have changed. So yeah, yeah. it does, you know. And also, you know, because it's so agonizing and it just feels like it's been forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's the chart because I always remember it because it was that Venus, it was that Venus Jupiter conjunction. Yeah. yeah. It was that Venus con Jupiter, uh, Venus Jupiter conjunction where Venus was getting ready to go retrograde and then it would fall back towards Jupiter. And I remembered that summer because that was the summer where I was, we always associate, a lot of astrologers associate that. Venus retrograde with um, the Supreme Court decision in the United States on same-sex marriage that basically mm. legalized it um, with that Venus retrograde conjunct Jupiter and Leo. And that happened to be, it was like you and Kelly, you and I had just started doing a bunch of episodes together after hanging out at Norwalk for yeah. uh, one of the early times. And then we just started doing the forecast like the month before after coming back from Norwalk and having the idea at that conference, and we'd done one of them, and then we were getting ready to do our second forecast, and Austin happened to be visiting for a tarot conference that he was speaking at in Denver that weekend. And at the last minute before we jumped on the call, I just asked if it would be okay if Austin joined us and asked Austin if he, he wanted to just like hop on for this wacky thing yeah. that we're doing with the monthly like look ahead at the next month. And he was like, sure, why not? And here we are five years later. Yeah. And the rest is that it was it was one of those real sort of synchronistic, couldn't have planned it, but it worked out better than if we ha could have planned it, basically. And then we just went forward every month since then, like a ritual. Yes, it has snowballed and taken on a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah, that so, it has. really uh, has. That's one of the other. So new if we were together in person, if we weren't social distancing, we could have cake, but we'll have to. We'll do that separately. <laughs> yeah, maybe some virtual virtual cake uh, later after the episode is over. Um, other stuff I wanted to mention: uh, there is a translation project that started recently for ancient astrological texts. That's kind of new and innovative and interesting, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it. It's called the Horai Project. H O R O I. Uh, which is like a Greek term, which means like the hour, sort of like the hour marker or the original term for the ascendant. Um, but it's it's 
put together by a guy, an astrologer and scholar named Levant Laszlo. And he's basically um, he's going to crowdfund or crowdsource the funding of translations, basically, of all of the surviving ancient astrological texts, especially ones in Greek, that have not been translated yet. Um, because of course, Project Hindsight ended prematurely and didn't finish its sort of mandate of translating the surviving corpus of astrological texts. So there's a lot of work left to be done. So um, Levant basically is, he recently went through college and he has or is about to finish his PhD in classics and in um, the study of ancient texts. And he's especially trained in studying ancient Greek manuscripts and translating texts from ancient Greek into English. So he started a Patreon page in order to fund this. And basically, if we can get it funded, especially between now and September, um, he's just like translating stuff and then he's immediately publishing it on his Patreon page. So he just released the other day this amazing translation. And I believe it's actually public. So whether you're signed up for the Patreon or not, um, this amazing translation of Julian of Laodicea's instructions on how to use or interpret the astrological elements in Inceptions. So it's basically this um, Greek text that gives a bunch of rules and a bunch of aphorisms for Hellenistic electional astrology. And it gives some really cool stuff, including some different rules on like eclipses and what eclipses indicate, um, what the nodes mean. And different things like that, like a lot of stuff that I think you guys would be really interested in. Uh, here's one passage. It says, when there's a solar eclipse, the change will happen because of the decease of a powerful person, but when it's a lunar eclipse, because of some common experience or the death of a woman. Uh, yeah, so it's obviously it's like an ancient fifth century astrological text, but there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. And so I wanted to give people a heads up about this. Um, you can find out more information just by going to patreon.com slash project, and I'll put a link to that in the description below this episode, either below the YouTube video or on the description page for this episode on the astrologypodcast.com. Uh, but pretty, awesome. pretty cool, huh? Mm. Yeah, that's I I didn't know about that. That's great. That looks amazing. Shower him with cash, monthly cash. Yeah, basically, because we can get him funded. Like he's already cranking out a ton of texts over the past few months, and I believe this guy will actually go through and finish translating everything that is left to translate. And he's already making great headway so far. So that's awesome. exciting in terms of the ongoing project to revive the rest of ancient astrology. Um, other news: I didn't write this down, but a jury is still out about ESAR conference. In September of, of 2020, do you guys think we'll be we'll be meeting up in person? Uh, no, <laughs> no, definitely not in person. Um, and I'm surprised that call has not been made already. Um, I, I think, think they that, should leave it till next year, but you know, it's not up to me to decide. I think the big thing I heard is just the the conference. The the hotel may still be keeping them on the line for like a huge um, mm. amount amount of money where. If they pull out, if the the conference pulls out first, they owe the money. But if the laws are still in place that don't allow large gatherings in Colorado past a certain date in July or something, that then it's okay and they can get out of That's it. That's right. There's, yeah, there's a there's financial some, reason. 
Yeah. The discussion has shifted to whether they should do a fully online conference, a big online conference in September, or whether they should move it and just try to wait until sometime next year and try to reschedule an in-person conference for sometime in 2021. And I know that they sent out some sort of um, poll or something to their membership a few weeks ago. Did either of you guys take the poll? I took the poll. You took the poll. Yes. What was what was your vote? Can we ask you your vote, or is that like? Yeah, private? of course. Yeah, okay. I, I feel like I'm comfortable to share that this particular vote. Uh, it's I, I uh, my preference is that they hold it over to try and do an in person event in the second half of next year. You know, if, if people can commit to September, September obviously works for them. I, I personally prefer to connect in person when it is safe to do so. So uh, for me personally, I'd rather wait and see if that's a possibility. It may or may not be. Um, you know, we haven't looked at all the detailed Astro of next year yet, but uh, I'm I'm happy not to do it this year for sure. Yeah. But okay. We'll see. I, Did you take I the concur. quiz, Austin? Yeah. <laughs> You're happy quiz. not to do it this year? <laughs> no, I passed the test. You passed the test. Um, no, I I didn't. Um, I I didn't. I, I have. I've not had when I'm in when I go to my inbox, it is to to shovel all of, you know, to do some digging and to uh, get less behind on correspondence. Um, and so, no, I, I'm not like, yeah, I'm like, OK, there, there's that. Uh, what I took from that was like, oh, the question is still open. Yeah. I wonder what they're going to do. But I, yeah. I maybe I should vote if it's still open because uh, I think in person later would be nice. Yeah, if it can happen, it's just hard because we don't. Who knows in like twenty twenty one, like what is gonna what it's gonna look like in terms of the specific details about whether you can have a a meeting of or a conference with you know five hundred to a thousand people or something, or whether there's still social distancing restrictions in place due to whatever happens with the the virus over the course of the next six months. Yeah, it's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was one of the other news announcements. Final piece of news and announcements is our friends at the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs have just released, just dropped in the past few weeks, this update of version 2.0 of their personal astrological almanacs. And what was really cool and what I love about their company, um, aside from them for full disclosure being one of our sponsors for this episode, is they sent out updates to everybody who had already purchased the almanac months mm. ago that gave like this new add-on that they just released to the almanac, which um, includes like a ton of new stuff, like new monthly overviews, void of course moon times, solar return charts. They also changed some of the font sizes and the different layouts that are available for the almanac. And the coolest thing for me is they integrated this Hellenistic plugin, and they're just calling this like the beta version of the plugin, and they're sort of testing it at this point. But it has a ton of cool Hellenistic and traditional concepts integrated into it, including this really cool visual zodiac releasing layout. Can you guys see this on your screen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like it's like a graphic version of the zodiac releasing periods that lets you see exactly where you are in your zodiac releasing periods, and also gives you the broader overview of like what's happening um, over the course of your lifetime. If you're looking at the level two periods, or over the course of a decade, 
or over the course of the next year if you're looking at your level three periods. And like, um, I had talked with them and worked with them a little bit as they're developing their graphical version of this to sort of fine tune it. And I'm really happy and excited with how it came out. So um, I think they sent you guys some um, online versions. I got a print version for me and Lisa, which I like because they've got a new larger size format as well as their their normal one. Um, but did you guys have a chance to look through yours? Yeah, I had a. I printed off some of the Hellenistic info that they added in. Um, yeah, so I got the PDF upgrade for the um, book that I already had, and it's yeah, it's really interesting just to get you know the bonifications and the maltreatments listed. All the detailed dignity weighting is in there. Uh, plus, I mean, there's so much more. It's it's such a comprehensive. Uh, publication like how they do this much that's so like they all your bonifications and things yeah look at um, this is my favorite new page so far where it yeah. shows like a dignity breakdown of all of your placements and what the dignities and the rulers are but it also shows this whole like bonification and maltreatment breakdown of your your positive placements and your challenging placements according to ancient different ancient criteria and the fact that they were able to come up with a program to automate some of this is just mind blowing to me because this is stuff that usually you have to do and like takes like Demetrius taught entire workshops on this where they spend like a week going over how to yeah. at, do this breakdown for your chart and here they have a lot of it just like on one page um, and while while it's automated so it's not quite the same as like an astrologer sitting there and doing it with you. This is like way, way more advanced than anything I've seen in, on sites like Astro.com or something like that. So I'm pretty excited about it. It might be kind of complicated for people that don't have background in like traditional astrology yet, but it's a good starting point and it's something that you could use and then continue to grow and develop with, um, especially since one of the best things that you can do uh, when you first start learning astrology, I think we'd all agree, is follow your transits on a regular basis. And just know what planets are being activated in your chart um, in any given day in any given year, right? Yeah, just having the information at your fingertips. I mean, I keep thinking about you know something my husband says when he's talking about educating children is if you give them the information, they'll figure out what it means and how to use it. Like you give the device, you give the technology, you give the information, and that natural curiosity just kind of you know, and that's what this feels like. It's giving. Not that astrologers are children, but it's giving everyone in astrology access to information that would often take a lot of labor to create or calculate or to to work out. And it's right there at your fingertips. Now, you know, you've still got to make sense of it. You've still got to get some interpretive information behind, but you've got that starting point of, of here's the data to to work with. Yeah. So here's the July breakdown. It shows like what transits are going exact. In your exact time zone. So it's none of this like some time zone, several time zones off from you of like East Coast or West Coast time. It's like your exact chosen time zone, exact transits. And now it shows down in the bottom left corner, like what your level one, two, three, and four zodiac releasing periods are that are active in any given day, which honestly is not something I ever saw that I would see in a planner. Like this is way more than anything I ever anticipated in terms of. Finally, being able to use some of these techniques and have them integrated in an everyday uh, guide like this. 
So um, I'd recommend checking it out. You can find out more information um, in terms of the specifics. They've got like a six-month and a 12-month version. The price for a six-month printed almanac is $22. 12-month almanac is only $35. There's a digital version of each for $10 and $20, or you can add it on to the print one for only $5. Um, you can find out more information at their website, which is just the Honeycomb Personal Astrological uh, Almanac, which I believe is honeycomb.co. So thanks a lot to the Honeycomb people. It sounds like there's a lot of people already in the chat that have theirs and are going crazy about it. Um, thanks for chiming in, everybody. All right. Do you guys have any other news and announcements news before we move into the forecast for July? No. I don't I think so. Okay. You guys are ready to get into looking at the future then, it sounds like? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Ready, ready maybe. as we'll ever be. <laughs> okay. Let's get into it then. So uh, let me put up a few things. I wanted to, in my Norwak talk last month, like I used more illustrations than I normally do, and I wanted to get in the habit of doing that because I think it's helpful for people to have visuals and to be able to visualize some of this stuff, perhaps more than just hear about it. So um, here is the round calendar for the planetary movements just for the month of July. Can you guys see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this just illustrates for those watching the video version where the planets will start at the beginning of the month and where they'll end up in the signs of the zodiac by the end of the month. Uh, we've also got the planetary alignments, which just shows all of the ingresses and the lunations and um, other phenomenon that are going to be occurring in the month of July. So Saturn retrograding back into Capricorn on July 1st, the lunar eclipse in Capricorn on July 5th, Mercury stationing direct in Cancer on the 12th, a um, new moon in Cancer on the 20th, then we have the Sun moving into Leo on the 22nd, and a Jupiter-Neptune sextile on the 27th. Those are sort of largely the main ingresses and stuff happening this month, right, Austin? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's not an ingress but um, weighs heavily on the month is Mars's in Mars in Aries. Mars entered Aries um, I don't know, 12 hours ago. <laughs> um, we're here uh, June 28th. Um, but that's, you know, just at the end of June. And Mars, Mars being in Aries is not only um, tremendously important for understanding July, uh, it's tremendously important for understanding the whole second half of the year. And yeah. when we pair Mars's ingress with Saturn's regress into Capricorn, we have a pair of factors that really tell us a whole lot about the whole the the second half of 2020 because Mars is going to be in Aries for the second half of 2020 and Saturn will be in Capricorn until the last two weeks of the year and so yeah so now yeah, we've even though really the calendar doesn't doesn't usually always work out this cleanly like this provides us a really stark transition point into the third quarter of 2020 and it also weirdly brings us back to many of the same energies or some of the same energies and dynamics from the first quarter of 2020 in terms of Saturn returning back into Capricorn where it was 
in the first three months of this year, and then also Mars moving back into a cardinal sign where it's eventually going to square Saturn and square Jupiter and Capricorn and square Pluto and Capricorn, which is a lot of what was happening that was really setting off stuff when the lockdowns and the coronavirus pandemic really hit hard, especially in the US in um, March and April, which that that pile up of planets in, in late Capricorn. Yeah, getting activated by Mars. And so even though um, Mars won't be in Capricorn um, like it was in the first quarter. Um, it will still be activating all of that, especially a little later. But we get some, we definitely get some Mars this month. But um, just to kind of go uh, to go back to that first quarter, and also to to bring it back to our Saturn discussion. Right, we talked a lot about what did this sneak peek of Saturn's Saturn in Aquarius square Uranus? What you know, what it, what was that like? Uh, what were the themes that we can expect to see in the next couple years? Um, but Saturn's return to Capricorn is, it's not just Saturn's back in Capricorn, it's back to Saturn-Pluto, right? We, we're, we're, get, we're getting a reactivation of that pairing. And that is, um, as we all know now, um, heavy stuff, right? It's um, Yeah. Um, I, want, I want to share this graphic. So I've been working a lot with... Um, We've been I've been promoting and talking about this um, company. It's a website called Archetypal Explorer that gives you personal transit delineations. But one of the things that's cool about it, it's very much based on Richard Tarnas's approach to archetypal astrology, which is more about especially outer planets and um, using wide orbs and looking at at hard aspects and different aspects of the outer planets, especially in mundane astrology. Um, but one of the things I love about Archetypal Explorer is it gives these amazing graphical ephemerises, basically. And I was working with Kyle to develop some ones to isolate some of these specific planetary cycles over large periods of time. And so I'm going to show some of this. Anytime you see a graph like this, it's me bringing stuff over from Archetypal Explorer. Um, this one shows, for people watching the video version, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which of course went exact very early in 2020 and was at sort of at its peak earlier this year. But this graph shows um, that we're back, that we're coming back into the upswing of the next closest hit of Saturn-Pluto, which doesn't fully um, culminate until like the September-October timeframe. But here now that we're in July, we are on the very rapid like upslope of that, especially once Saturn retrogrades back into Capricorn on the very 1st of July. So it's great that's to fun. see it visually. Yeah, that's the, that's the most well, <laughs> that's the greatest thing you could say about about that is it's good to see it visually. It's, good to see it's it not visually. Maybe not so good to feel it viscerally. Yeah, I mean it's a good reminder that even though the Saturn Pluto conjunction is not again exact by degree, it is close enough that we're we're going to really feel those qualities of confinement or isolation, you know, oppression. That those very intense Saturn Pluto words, we're going to to have, you know, a reactivation or a revisiting. Yeah, and maybe I should show what that actually looks like on the screen because it's like in July. This is a chart for July fifth when Saturn retrogrades back into twenty nine degrees of Capricorn. That's only five or six degrees off from the conjunction with Pluto at twenty three degrees of Capricorn, and that's only going to get closer 
over the course of the next couple of months until eventually um, it looks like eventually. Saturn comes back to 25, I think, for his retrograde. 25, yeah. It looks like Saturn stations direct in early, in late September, late September at 25 degrees of Capricorn while Pluto's at 22 degrees of Capricorn. So they're only like three degrees off. So for all intents and purposes, even though the conjunction isn't exact, like it's super close once it gets to that time frame. And July, the very beginning of July, is the acceleration of that when Saturn moves back into basically the same sign or the same dwelling place of Pluto and reactivates that conjunction that had been had gotten a little bit of separation by sign at least over the past few months. Yeah, I mean, I I, I basically view that uh, Saturn's return to Capricorn is it just switches Saturn Pluto on and it's on until the end of the year. Yeah, it's good to maybe have a sense of the timing of when it might be a little more intense technically, but I think from an experiential perspective, Saturn coming back into Capricorn is is like the start of, of the feeling of that again. So the other fun fun fact, uh, since we're sharing fun facts and, and diagrams and graphic ephemerises at this point, is one of the things we focused on was how Mars ingressing into Capricorn and then eventually forming the exact conjunction with um, first Pluto in Capricorn, then Mars conjoining Jupiter in Capricorn, and then eventually Mars catching up to Saturn at the end of Capricorn and early Aquarius was in March and early April and happened to line up pretty nicely with the lockdowns in the US and the shooting up of the coronavirus um, tests and people being diagnosed with it as well as people dying from it. Um, that's one of the things that's coming back starting in July as well, is Mars moving into Aries, as you said at the beginning of this segment, Austin, reactivates that because now sud suddenly Mars is in another cardinal sign and it's going to start making hard aspects uh, with those same planets once again, which sort of recapitulates or brings us back to some of those energies of the March-April timeframe. Now, that doesn't fully start to hit in actually until August and September because that's when the the exact aspects between Mars and Pluto and Jupiter and Saturn actually go exact, but we're we're basically in the buildup phase at this point as of the very end of June when Mars uh, moved into Aries. Yeah, and so what we have in July is Mars Mercury. Um, we have a we have um, more Mars Mercury than you can was it shake a stick at shake a stick. Um, right, that's the the figure of speech. Um, which that makes sense. Mars, Mars shakes sticks. Um, and I suppose Mercury is often depicted as having a fancy snake covered stick. But, um, you know, so as the month begins, Mercury is retrograde in Cancer and will be retrograde until, was it the, is it the 12th? When does it station direct? July 12th. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it, and Mercury is, um, Mercury is retrograde until the 12th. Um, but, you know, and often we look to, oh, Mercury's finally direct. This'll be, 
you know, things will, um, things will get reorganized or things, you know, there'll be less mess or chaos or whatever. Um, right. but it's, it's actually the direct station <laughs> that is, um, that is, um, more of a pain in the ass because we have Mercury retrograding back into a square with Mars and then Mercury and Mars, um, pace with each other. Cause Mercury is slow right after that direct station. And so they're just kind of hanging out together square for um, a lot of the month, a lot more of the month than we might prefer. Right. right. Like literally so, the entirety of July is just like until one. Until the 27th. Yeah. One, it's, one yeah, long it's Mercury just, Mars square. One long yeah. growing. Um, yeah. And so even event. though Mars isn't, you know, setting Saturn Pluto on fire this month, um, there, we, we will certainly, <laughs> we, we, you'll probably notice that Mars and Aries, right? But it's, um, you know, uh, but it's through its effect on Mercury rather than the slower outer planets. Yeah, because what I mean, what are some classic delineations of Mercury Mars squares? It's like verbal art altercations or getting into verbal arguments or having a, a verbal outburst or something like that. Yeah, words as weapons. Mm, words as weapons, yeah. The weaponization of of words and communication and communication that is aggressive or um, trying to start a fight with somebody verbally or in terms yeah, of your communication. Verbal attacks. Um, I always think that that's sort of like the general thing is there's this aggressive sort of quality of discord or tension or disagreement between Mercury and Mars. So we'll see heated conversations, contentious conversations pointing the finger and a lot of, if you like, aggression with conversation. One thing I do hold a little bit of space for, for all of us in our micro personal lives, some of us are not very outspoken. Some of us don't speak up when we maybe could, or it would serve us to do so. And yes. sometimes, you know, if you're more of a soft-spoken person, a pretty dynamic aspect like this might prompt you to say something that's in your heart or, you know, you need to say your truth, you need to say your peace. And this kind of energy or aspect can make you so frustrated that you actually speak instead of holding your tongue, which might be your normal default. So as much as it is technically a difficult aspect and, and we will see that, you know, collectively, there can be some instances where the decisive or the expressive quality of this can prompt you to to have an uncomfortable conversation. Just because you say something doesn't mean the discussion's easy. The tenor of Mercury Mars is a little bit of that heated quality. But in a personal situation, sometimes it can be really good to be more direct or explicit or clear. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of that um, at an individual level that we could see. Mm -hmm. I think that's really nice. I couldn't agree more. The, and the need sometimes for like righteous indignation and uh, for for fighting words, like fighting words, is a great really great combination them, of them uh, fighting words. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'm, uh, I'm sure there will be some people that will use that in a productive way, and that even if it's hard, like the necessity sometimes of speaking out or speaking your mind uh, in that way. Yeah, that's sort of what I wish for some of, you know, I, I know I have clients and friends and family members that are a little bit more soft-spoken and and sometimes this kind of aspect can light a fire and make you so frustrated or angry that you overcome your fear of speaking. And you may get a slightly better result 
towards the end of the month when Mercury's squaring Mars while it's direct than you will at the start of the month because it's there's, there'll be two exact aspects by degree. Around July 8th is the first one with Mercury retro and then July 27th with Mercury direct. But But as you showed on the chart and as Austin was saying, it's a mood for the whole month of July because it's only a few degrees apart even when it's not exact. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that that uh, might be on on some level that's like our keyword for this month, and that might be our our type, subtitle for this episode is a uh, fighting words or something like that. It might be a good subtitle for Mars Mercury square for the entire month of July. Yeah, well, and uh, agreed. And then just taking you know what does Mercury Mars look like? You know, one of the one of the less dramatic but relevant pieces of um, February and March this year was Mercury, right? Mm -hmm. And Mercury being in, you know, what is classically rotten condition and that translating into people's, people's plans to go places and, you know, um, uh, flit Mm -hmm. about here and there, um, (laughs) not working out. So I could definitely see with what things are looking like already at the end of June, I could definitely see some uh, some some summer travel plans getting canceled or derailed. Yes, mm, right. Totally agree. And the other topic when you were reminding us of this earlier, Austin, reminded me that the U.S. Postal Service uh, came into the news for, you know, was under pressure back in that earlier time uh, this year. And I wonder if we see any further discussion or debate about that come up um, through July as Mercury comes under pressure again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, the, um, all, I'm, you know, I'm sure all the mail services are under their their logistics have been highly pressurized and will continue to be even more so because mm. you know, um, even though there there's been some opening up and there's some closing back down already starting, um, you know, everything is going through the mail, right? Like like Chris mm-hmm. said um, about like using a check depositing app. The a checks, lot of people yeah. are like, you know, they're shopping on. They had to shop online and now it's. Um, now it's a habit, right? And so, you know, I'm I'm sure whatever courier services um, are probably experiencing increased or accelerated, excuse me, accelerated wear and tear. That's a great a, point. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. One of um, somebody I know works in one of the postal services, and they they had mentioned to me that you know in the postal system. The Christmas period is is by far and above the busiest time of year. More parcels and letters get shipped in November and December than any other time of the year. But they were saying that April and May was as busy as their usual Christmas sort of, and and they're not, you know, they don't they don't plan to staff at those levels at that time of the year. And so how does that, as you're saying, when people are now going, you know, usually they expect the Christmas end of year rush to be two months. We're going into months three and four in some places with potentially no let up. Yeah. What are the kinks and and where do things maybe go a little awry? So I think you accidentally or uh, yeah, somewhat accidentally gave the most positive possible thing that we could say about 2020. It's Christmas all all year long. (laughs) If you work in the postal service or if you work in a delivery or logistics, you know, if you're if you're shipping goods, that is probably that's true. It's uh 12 months of Christmas. 
<laughs> yeah. It's oh. it, yeah. I mean, I, sometimes, I was sometimes online today to ordering. Yeah. Yeah. Go I mean, ahead. when you said that, I was like, yeah, I ordered today. I like some treats, like the cat treat things that you give your cats and they don't get bad breath or teeth or something. And I was like, oh, I, I'd run out because they usually, you know, have a bunch. And I'm like, that's and that's going to come via the post, you know, in the next couple of days. And I'm like, that's insane that they're going to get it here so quickly. Um, yeah. So, the- so Chris, we figured out that um, 2020 is it's Christmas all year long. Okay. Because of the because of how much uh, because of the um, according to Christmas levels of po- of parcel delivery, right? The postal specific system, to postage it, and parcel delivery, <laughs> right? But you know we can um, inaccurately generalize that statement for humor. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Uh, so Christmas all year should that be our subtitle instead of fighting fighting words for July? <laughs> Could be yeah. a little misleading. Yeah. We were just I was just talking yeah. about the Mercury aspect and you know, Austin had talked about the travel and I was like the postal service and um knowing someone who works in the postal service, it's the levels that they're delivering, the volume is Christmas level volume. Um which is yeah. And they're just not prepared for that level of volume at this time of year with staffing and things like that. So Right. You know what's uh, funny about that is uh I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but ever since the lockdowns went into effect, it's impossible to get microphones and webcams especially and even like lighting because everybody's buying up everything and all the supply mm-hmm. chains have broken down. So I sometimes have to send out microphones like part of the Patreon when I started it was in order to raise money to send out microphones to guests in order to get good audio or sometimes webcams. And it's super hard now to get like webcams and microphones just because they're they're just gone because everybody is doing everything online. So they all got bought up months ago. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. All so right. So that was part of the Mercury Mars mood for July. Yes. Um and I know it's it's hard to not hard to mention it, but I wanted to mention, and we sort of mentioned it in passing. But just right now, at the very end of June, we're passing the halfway point in the Mercury retrograde, which is the Sun Mercury conjunction at nine degrees of Cancer on the thirtieth. Um, and usually, that's like the turning point where whatever the issue was at the start of the Mercury retrograde starts to get rectified, or there starts to be some resolution to it. And maybe that's still the case but it's interesting then that mercury passes that halfway turning point in the 3 week mercury retrograde cycle and then heads goes headlong into that square with mars uh which goes exact around july 8th from 6 degrees of cancer to 6 degrees of aries that's a really good point chris i hadn't put those two things together cuz yeah it's june 30th i think that mercury makes the conjunction with the sun and usually I think we've described that as like, you know, you're now in the middle of the dark woods and every step is going to take you out, even though you're not out yet. Um, mm. But on the way out, there is a uh, a tiger or some sort of, you know, intense creature perhaps that you're going to have to dodge uh, as you come to the end of the woods. A tiger. I like that. Or maybe you have to, become, it- the, you have to become the, the tiger. Ti- maybe. Yeah. I was like, um, what, would ma- what would be a Mars animal in the woods? Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Quick Um, and sharp. Quick and sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, it's kind of a tiger type of Mars. I must have sort of those types of animals. We we just watched the movie Up the other night, um, which I had just never seen. So 
Peter was like, okay, we're going to watch this. So something different. Somehow that made me think of a tiger. Yeah. Panther. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Mercury square Mars, uh, really, you know, having that first square at the beginning of the month. And then the second square is at the very end of the month. The second and final square is at the very end of the month. Mm. What around the, the 27th? 27th. Yeah. So it's about the first square is about six degrees, Cancer Aries, for those of our, our listeners who like specifics. And then Ju- July 27th is about 16 degrees, Cancer Aries. Got it. And the Mercury direct station is on the 12th? At five degrees. Five degrees. Okay. So those oh, are some of our and one, activated one degrees final this month. Sim- one final simple thing that we can say about uh, Mercury so tightly configured to Mars just Mercury mm-hmm. square a malefic. It's the delivery of bad news. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like that's the economic data is going to be landing and it will be bad news and then more bad news. Um, right. Know, that was, that's because we're back of, to, uh, that's one of the other quarter one things that we're returning back to, back to is um, the contraction of the economy, which I think is one of the things that we talked about in the year ahead forecast, seeing all so many li- so much of that lineup in Capricorn, and now with Saturn returning back to Capricorn, and not just that, but then also having, I believe it's the final lunar eclipse in Capricorn on the fifth that mm-hmm. that occurs right around the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's July the 5th. you know yeah. it part of the Mer- the Mars Mercury will be part of the. As we say, the the dissolution of the illusion of the 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 V shaped recovery, right, or dead cat bounce, as it will look in retrospect. Mm. Um, and you know what's interesting about that—that that lunar eclipse that's occurring uh, in Capricorn this month—is that that then, since the lunar eclipse, we know that that's the culmination of something that started six months earlier at the previous solar eclipse in the same sign. Mm-hmm. And that would have then been that solar eclipse in Capricorn that occurred in December that we put a lot of emphasis on at the time, um, which then it turns out behind the scenes, like by the time of that solar eclipse in December was the background development and sort of looming development Mm -hmm. of sort of COVID in the background, which eventually would emerge onto the world stage by the time of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in January. So, um, in a world sense, we we can then see a sort of culmination of events with respect to that of something that began six months earlier. We could also say that for some people, if if your chart is especially sensitive to those eclipses and that that Capricorn Cancer axis, then there could be something that began in your personal life, especially in the part of your chart that contains Capricorn or the house that contains Capricorn, something that maybe was initiated especially. Um, Six months ago, or over the course of the past couple of years, as we've been getting those eclipses, as well as Saturn going through Capricorn since late 2017, we see a final culmination of some of that and a final push to bring something to completion that coincides with this eclipse and the wrapping up of all of those Capricorn themes over the course of the next six months before Saturn leaves that sign and before the eclipses leave that sign for good after this. Yeah, and that's that's a point I think worth further emphasizing is that um, the this is the um, this is the last eclipse on the Cancer Capricorn axis that we're going to have for most of a decade. 
Um, and we've been doing Cancer Capricorn eclipses for the last year and a half ish. Um, and this um, this sort of mid year eclipse season, um, there was a little bit of a preview with uh, the uh, the uh, the was it the penumbral eclipse in Sagittarius. But mostly we're wrapping up, you know, so big solar eclipse in Cancer about a week ago, and then um, very slight penumbral eclipse in um, in Capricorn, and then we're done with the Cancer Capricorn mm. eclipses. And as a Cancer rising, I am uh, I am happy to move along from that. <laughs> yeah, it is finally off of your angular houses, off of your first and seventh. Yeah. Um, and people can listen back to the horoscopes that um, I did or that I did with Lisa Scheim from January, where we actually went through and delineated what some of those eclipses should mean, depending on which of the 12 houses it actually falls in in your chart. If you'd like more insight into that, uh, you can find those on my YouTube channel. Um, okay, so those are the first two things that are happening earlier in the month Saturn retrograding back into Capricorn, eclipsing Capricorn. Saturn station or Mercury stationing direct. There's one other major outer planet thing we need to mention because it's actually looming over the first part of July, but it's easy to overlook because it actually happened on the very last day of uh, technically of June. But it's that Jupiter Pluto conjunction, the second of three, took place or will take place on the 30th of June. So that's like right there at the beginning of. July, basically, that energy is very prominent then right at the beginning of July as well in the sign of Capricorn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's worth noting the exact conjunction. It's also worth noting that they're just like Jupiter and Pluto teamed up earlier in the year and they're just basically conjunct the entire year. Um, you know, there there's it's a little spike in that. But it's not a. It's not that those significations come out of nowhere. Like that's just part of the background uh, for almost all of 2020. Yeah, I mean, I do think, like, looking at these spikes, one of the things I've been thinking about over the past week or two. Um, so here's a graph that shows the three exact conjunctions of Jupiter conjunct Pluto, and while it's still in effect the entire year, there are at least these three exact hits. Um, I remember a few months ago, and I wasn't able to follow this as well as I wanted to at the time when I was sick in like March and April. But I remember there being some background discussion then when the first Jupiter Pluto conjunction hit that some astrologers went back and started looking at historical conjunctions and noted that um, the second and third wave of the 1918 flu pandemic coincided pretty nicely with Jupiter Pluto conjunctions. And that was kind of like an interesting thing at the time, and I always meant to go back and look at that. But what's weird is that's kind of happening again right now. If you plot like this graph of the exact hits up against the COVID numbers, especially in the US, of just tests and diagnoses, not necessarily deaths at this stage, but that first exact hit of Jupiter uh, conjunct Pluto was right at the beginning of April, and now we see the second exact conjunction happening right at the end of June as all of the numbers in the US or some of the numbers are starting to climb back upwards again. Um, and I think there's something really notable about that. Here's one graph that I found from the COVID tracking project on Twitter um, that shows 
again, look at that initial climb of just these are just positive cases of like tests coming back positive in the US. Um, and you see the initial climb happening and peaking around early April, which is basically when the last, the first Jupiter Pluto conjunction occurred. And then now they're climbing back up again here towards the end of June. And that's going to be exactly when that second conjunction hits. So there's something interesting. There's something kind of weird about that. I went back and I did look, I did do some research into the 1918 pandemic. And um, here's a little image of that that was made again by Kyle from archetypalexplorer.com. And there was only one exact hit of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction that occurred um, back about the middle around like August of 1918. And what's weird is that coincided with the very first wave of the 1918 pandemic happened towards the beginning of 1918, but it wasn't very deadly. It was like a wave that came and went, but it, it wasn't super um, different compared to like a normal flu season in terms of the number of deaths. But then what happened is that the dead, quote unquote, deadly second wave came and hit in August. Of twenty of nineteen eighteen, and that one was the biggest spike in deaths, and was like, uh, according to Wikipedia, I have this quote. It says, "The second wave of the nineteen eighteen pandemic was much more deadly than the first. The first wave had resembled typical flu ep epidemics; those most at risk were the sick and the elderly, while younger, healthy people recovered easily." Um, October of nineteen eighteen was the month. With the highest fatality rate of the whole pandemic. And just looking at that, that's like exactly when the Jupiter Pluto conjunction was hitting, when in August of 1918, that really took off. So that's kind of interesting. And then what happened is that it went away, the Jupiter Pluto conjunction then separated, but then it retrograded back. And while it didn't go exact, uh, the Jupiter Pluto did come back into orb of like a few degrees of a conjunction by um, early, by basically later in the first quarter, by the first quarter of 1919. And this ended up coinciding with the third wave uh, of that pandemic. And according to like Wikipedia, again, just to quote, it says about the third wave, quote, it was less severe than the second wave, but still much more deadly than the initial first wave. And isn't that interesting how the conjunction went exact in the middle of 1918, and that was like the worst one, but then the second wave coincided with that retrograding back into orb, but then not quite completing the conjunction. So I don't know. I'm just mentioning that now because right now we're currently on track to the first wave of COVID, at least in the US, nicely coinciding with that first conjunction of Jupiter-Pluto. And now the numbers are like climbing again at the second conjunction of Jupiter-Pluto here this year. Yeah, it seems like it's yeah. a factor. I mean, we yeah. can't, it's obviously the, the plague is not just Jupiter-Pluto or else we'd have a pandemic. Uh, you know, we'd have something like this every you know, one out of every 12 years, but it does seem, mm -hmm. it, it does seem to be, um, part of the complex of factors astrologically that's timing the unfolding of this. Yeah. Um, one of, of many, of a ton of different factors. It's just interesting. Cause it's like, none of us are 
epidemiologists, and none of us were like, you know, super had done um, detailed studies of pandemics in the past astrologically. So it's like a lot of astrologers are learning about some of these things now, and we're paying attention to some of these trends as things that are happening in real time right now, and we're learning things about them, but we're also going back and looking at previous trends as well in order to try to learn on the fly as things are happening and apply them in real time. And just seeing some of that stuff line up and seeing some of those echoes is notable in some way. Yeah, so, I think uh, something that that's that like sort of combines what you're both saying, Jupiter is making the conjunction to Pluto in the sign of its fall. And so there's something a little bit more extreme, problematic, or difficult from the Jupiter perspective now. Um, and it's doing that while there is this co-presence with the ruler of that sign, Saturn. So, because I totally agree with you, Austin, like if it was just as simple as Jupiter-Pluto, we'd get it happening more often. But I wonder if it's the uh, maybe slightly more compounded effect of this particular Jupiter-Pluto. Because I keep coming back to, you know, the quality of Jupiter in terms of being in the sign of Capricorn and how difficult that is for Jupiter. And then the heaviness of having Pluto there, but also the ongoing, you know, which we're going back into in third quarter um, of, of Saturn being there and just that extreme contraction around Jupiter that, you know, if Jupiter would be the help, you know, being a benefic planet, it, in theory, it should bring uh, medicine or treatment protocols or some type of, um, you know, welcome and observed uh, you know, like like the social distancing type of thing, because that has been somewhat effective in certain places around the world, but it's also been completely ignored in many places. And I think the extreme debilitation of Jupiter is somehow speaking to this as well. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So, um, yeah, so I don't know what that means. We're in the second peak now, and that's somehow going to color the early part of July, I think, in terms of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction and some of those energies. And then weirdly, yeah, for whatever reason, the third and final conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto happens in November, uh, not too long after the US presidential election, for whatever that's worth. Well, and so in addition, Jupiter-Pluto is also our sort of giant corrupt bailout mm. signature. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And Garen, um, that's going to happen again. You know, that's that's part of, again, this is like back to quarter one. Right, which was right. seems like an oversimplification, but it's <clears throat> it's true on a lot of different points. Right, we have, um, you know, we're gonna have bad numbers coming in economically. What's and you know, it's like, oh, none of these businesses are coming back, and this isn't happening, et cetera, et cetera. And then there'll be, you know, there will be, how should we say, a correct and righteous uh, desire to help people using the money that the government has so that fucking people aren't starving in the street. Right. And then that will, um, you know, that will serve as the justification for another giant corporate bailout, um, which sucks, but that's almost certainly going to happen. And that's also time, you know, Jupiter, Pluto times big, um, big and suspicious movements of money. And the accumulation and stealthy movement of that capital. Yeah, the the movement of huge amounts of money through the economy, um, upwards and downwards, uh, so to speak. And 
Yeah. So, and then the other thing, of course, that I talked about on like last month's, which was a big insight for me, was like Jupiter, Pluto, and the proliferation of like conspiracy theories and like people trying to find the truth and trying to un- uncover the truth, and sometimes the truth being manipulated or being um, different narratives being used, and sometimes like false truth, like being out there, the corruption of the truth in order to control people. One of the weird things about that was I actually discovered the birth time of the original author who got me into astrology, and it was like these new age books that that incorporated conspiracy theories like super heavily, and a lot of prevalent conspiracy theories in the 1980s were all woven together into this set of metaphysical books on Nostradamus, and the author's name was Dolores Cannon. And I actually got into astrology through these books because. I came across the books and and they said that um World War 3 was about to happen and it would be like a big war and there was a bunch of like conspiracy stuff in it about what would happen and I thought it would be good to to learn astrology which were like sprinkled throughout the books in order to help in the sort of war effort which is one of my funny how I got into astrology stories was through conspiracy th- theory stuff and I discovered this author's chart and her birth time for the first time, like 20 years after getting into her books and many years after like falling out of love with them. Once I learned more about like the world and realized that some of the stuff she was saying, she was just like making stuff up. Anyway, discovered her birth chart this past week, and it turned out she had a Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in Cancer, which I thought was an interesting full circle thing in terms of some of that research I've been doing recently about Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions and conspiracy theories. Yeah, it, and that was that you you shared that the other day. I thought that was just perfect, mm. and um, and that that also ties in really nicely with Patrick Watson's uh, piece about Jupiter Pluto. That I think he po- I think he wrote this la- I think he wrote it last year, um, but he found that Jupiter Pluto conjunctions um, timed a lot of um, big developments in terms of both microscopes and telescopes, which is being able to see what is hidden. Right. And what is, what is a, you know, um, and that ties into the economic thing, right? They, with these bailouts, but where, you know, what, what's actually going on? Where is the money actually going? You need a microscope or a telescope. That is, uh, that also, I think, ties into the, the motive for what gets called conspiracy theory. Like what's really going on here? Let's examine this in a way mm-hmm. that, you know, let's, let's, um, yeah, let's, let's look either very far away to what we can't see telescope or really, you know, get granular microscope. Um, and so it's, it's interesting how all of these things tie together very tightly thematically. And, you know, yeah. in terms of the, the proliferation of conspiracy theory, I think everyone can agree that, um, it's sort of, no one believes the official story, but nobody knows what, but that doesn't, because you know, the, you know, because you know, the official story, whether about reality or about, you know, economic data or whatever, just because you know what you're being told is incorrect. That doesn't tell that that doesn't, that doesn't, um, solve the problem of what is correct, right? That's its own whole giant confusing mess, right? It's, it's useful to eliminate one option, but then when you eliminate that, um, everything else is an option. And so it makes perfect sense that that's the point we're at, right? And that the sky looks like that. There's Jupiter, Pluto up in the night sky every night. So I, um, uh, everybody can probably see it, but we have a, a window out to the southeast, 
And so almost every night you see uh, Jupiter, Jupiter and Saturn up in the sky. Jupiter's really bright right now. Saturn's about as bright as it's going to get. And I always kind of like squint suspiciously at Jupiter because I know Pluto is behind Jupiter. <laughs> I'm like, I, I see you, Pluto. Squinting yeah. suspiciously at Jupiter. I like that. Yeah. I know what you're hiding. Um, one of the things that makes me nervous, though, about the third Jupiter-Pluto conjunction hitting in mid-November, just after the election, and the first pass, I felt like, especially around the April timeframe, coinciding with this like surge in conspiracy theories around COVID, is it, it sort of reminds me that like no matter what happens in November, no matter who wins the U.S. election, there's going to be like accusations about the election being, um, you know, somehow manipulated or controlled, or things not being fair, and ideas from the other side, the losing side, that it was uh, manipulated in some way. And I sort of wonder if that's not going to be one of our main talking points that we're going to end up seeing in the news in November with that third conjunction hitting at that time. Oh yeah, and the rest of the things that hit at. I that was going to say, there's a lot going on in November <laughs> that sure. is all going to contribute. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so let's, let's, pay let's say something nice. Say something okay. nice. Okay. About July. About July. About the sun's the sun's ingress sun's into Leo. To Leo, yes. Which I am we're looking very, forward to. We're all very happy about that. And so yeah, this is important because uh, uh, or oh, let me just make ahead. one point. I was just going to say so. There's a lot of um, what's it not so friendly skies this year, and so that actually makes the periods of time where things are relatively decent all the more important because we have these you know mm. we have these kind of short windows throughout the year where there are actually some decent elections and there's some some good strong stuff and so you know in, in terms of there are things that we always have to do um and so when we have to do things we want good timing um and we yeah. do have at the end of July one of these like you know, 2020 hashtag 2020 good periods <laughs> of, uh, uh, of elections. And so it's really worth like, you know, um, jumping on those, not because it's the yeah. best thing ever, but it's a lot better than what's going to be available before and after. Yes. And I think that is actually a great segue into the featured election that Lisa and I, Lisa Scheim and I picked out for this month. So thanks for that, that brilliant segue. Uh, into into that. So the um chart this month, the featured election for this month is uh it actually takes place towards the end of the month. Um once we get out of the Mercury retrograde, because in the second half of the month, Mercury is moving direct, and we also have the Sun in Leo. And we take advantage of this by having a Leo rising chart. So the election is for um July 29th. 2019 at about, um, I believe about 7:30 in the morning is what we ended up going with. Although there's some wiggle room around there depending on uh, your exact location on the Earth, but basically set up the chart for Leo rising, and you'll end up with the ascendant in Leo and the Sun in Leo in the first whole sign house, and the Sun is in its own domicile. Uh, and it does not have hard aspects for the most part from at least the two malefics, Mars and Saturn, which is a nice little rare blessing this year to get some 
not charts with not hard aspects between those two malefics, at least to the ascendant ruler. Uh, the moon is in Sagittarius in the fifth whole sign house, and it's applying to a trine with the sun. So there's this nice uh, fire trine action going on, which is very helpful and very useful. Um, unfortunately, you know you you basically can't get any elections during the month of July that do not have Mercury square Mars. Uh, but at least in this chart, we have Mercury finally at the very end of the month. By the time you get to the last few days of July, Mercury is finally separating from the square with Mars rather than applying to it. And while it's still within a degree, um, Mercury is separating from Mars and applying to an opposition with Pluto at this point. Um, we set up the election so that it has the later part of Leo rising so that we could get the midheaven around 17, 17 degrees of Taurus here in Denver, which makes it sextile to Mercury, uh, helping Mercury out of its 12th house position there at 18 degrees of Cancer and also forming a trine to Jupiter at 20 degrees of Capricorn in the sixth house to sort of help it out of its sixth house position as well. Uh, the chart is not so great for ninth house matters because it has Mars in a day chart in the ninth house, although there are some mitigations since Mars is in its own domicile and it is applying to a square with Jupiter. Still probably not a great chart for like ninth house activities involving travel or um, Foreign countries, or to some extent, like education or things like that. Um, founding a religion, awesome. yeah, founding yeah. a re religion. If you happen to be like um, Joseph Smith or something like that, like don't found a religion with the ninth house. I mean, that's that's funny because that reminds me of. I was asking you, Austin. Like, to, I was trying to remember like what ancient text. I swear, I've read like ancient texts that have delineations of like. The smashing of idols and the pulling down of statues and like mundane astrology, and then you were quoting like a biblical passage about that, about like the smashing of idols. Yeah, there's. Um, I did a search online, and there are actually um, a great abundance of biblical passages that have to do with the smashing of idols. Right, I think you quoted one in our our notes from like Ezekiel <laughs> yeah, or something one. like that. Who's yeah? Who's, yeah, I look. That was a great quote. Ezekiel 6 6, in all your dwellings, cities will become waste, and the high places will be desolate, and your altars may become waste and desolate, your idols may be broken and brought to an end, your incense altars will be may be cut down, and your works may be blotted out. So yeah, pretty like biblical stuff that we're sort of going through now with like the it's pulling a down. Pretty of, biblical year. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's one of those years where if you're like writing it for a movie, they would send it back and ask you to tone it down like a little bit. Yeah, like save some of that for you know the other the parts sequel. of the trilogy, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, definitely Old Testament rather than new, as someone uh, in, the, in the chat pointed out. Yeah. Twenty 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 is very Old Testament. Twenty twenty one, maybe we'll get into more more New Testament. We'll see Saturn back in Aquarius. Um. So anyway, so that's the electional the, chart was basically taking advantage of the sun in Leo and getting yeah. the moon applying to it, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not a great a Mercury election, election, but great, great for a, great for a lot of things. Good solar. Yeah, it, yeah. It's one of those months where you're not going to find any good Mercury elections because of how hard Mercury is getting hit by Mars and the first half of the month just being retrograde all month, but. You can get a decent solar election out of this. What sort of things would you guys use a good solar Sun and Leo election for? Uh, for scheduling a podcast. 
Mm, okay. Yeah, I guess we will be scheduling our next forecast looking like it. Uh, oh, actually, yes. The end of July. Quite yeah. likely. Um, yeah. Anything where you, you need to put yourself at the center stage or like be the yeah. center of attention or present yourself in a favorable light and maybe come off well for your own inherent qualities or the things that you radiate in the world in general. Mm-hmm. So we could say that it is a bad election for being sneaky. Yeah, don't don't put those on the if you don't yeah. want to be the the center of attention. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Gaia in the comments says launching your personal website. Yeah, I would say that if you're going to do that this month, that's a uh, that's a good one. Sure, yeah. or, or maybe some creative project or artistic project or something like that where you want to showcase your art or showcase showcase your own creative um, instincts and skills. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm just thinking about the sun as the ruler of the first in this chart. If you wanted to do something for your body, for your fitness, for your wellness, maybe mm-hmm. that could be an appropriate time to get something started. Yeah, definitely. That would, and that would be making best best use of that Mars. Yeah, something physical or active. Yeah, totally. Um, so, anyway, so this was, or this is the chart for that we found for July. Lisa and I also recorded um, our Auspicious Elections podcast just a few days ago, and I just got it back from my editor, so I'm probably going to release that tomorrow as a bonus for patrons on the five and other tiers on Patreon, and that contains three or four other electional charts that we were able to find for the month of July. So you can get access to that just by becoming a patron on the $5 tier or up, and uh, I'll put a link to that on the website. We also, because we're halfway through the year, we went ahead and discounted our 2020 Electional astrology report, uh, where we picked out one of the, the single best electional chart that we could find for each month. And I believe this was our election for July that we released way back in that report in December. Um, but if you want some electional charts for further out in the year, then you can you can look into that. Yeah. Well, and so just to sit with um why I was excited about the sun moving into Leo. One, um, it puts the sun in a whole sign trine relationship with Mars, which is going to be the the friendliest that the sun and Mars will be all year. Um, mm-hmm. And more, uh, and the sun is in in and of itself strong, strong and fortunate in uh, in Leo. Um, mm-hmm. And just as importantly, it's it's where the sun is coming from um, when it arrives in Leo, right? And so the sun, if we look at the chart. <clears throat> when the sun is in late cancer right which will be the the middle of the month we have the <clears throat> we have the sun opposing pluto and saturn for about a week um the opposition yeah. to jupiter is maybe even kind of nice but the the opposition of the sun to pluto and then saturn um it's hard right if we think of the sun as illuminating or spotlighting things like what is the sun uh what are what are the sun's rays making visible to us you know they're making visible that saturn pluto uh signature which is you know one of the most difficult things about this year and has timed uh, a lot of this year's uh difficulties physical mental spiritual societal individual etc and, and speaking and so of that's that, a, look at that that's a hard look at that look. new moon look at that uh, the new, new moon, moon is yeah 28 degrees it's of cancer special. on the 20th of july Exactly, almost to the is it to the minute? Like a po- no, almost to the minute opposing Saturn at twenty eight degrees of Capricorn. 
funny. I'm actually, I actually have something scheduled to begin then on purpose. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. Awesome. Um, on that on that opposition though, I do think that's a, worth a mention because the the sort of the the middle of July, from about July fourteen right through to the twentieth that week, we have the sun moving through the last part of Cancer, opposing Jupiter, opposing Pluto, and then opposing Saturn. So there is this kind of seesaw quality that kicks in then, where as you said, Austin, the sun is like spotlighting that pressure, if you like. Um, it does as you just mentioned, Chris, highlight the new moon there in Cancer. So it does feel that there's a pressure quality for sure in that time frame. And that's part of the reason why I do totally agree with everything you said, Austin. We talked about this in our pre-show chat. As soon as the sun goes into Leo, it's like, oh, it's not that all of the Capricorn stuff is gone, but you're just not standing in direct opposition to it anymore. You can look at something different. You can focus on maybe something else just for a few weeks. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and that's part of the, um, you know, in the, in the looking at the Saturn Pluto, you know, as we, we've all been looking at Saturn Pluto this year, whether we knew those names or not. Um, but there's a like looking at like, the whole structure of civilization and the the brutality of um you know the brutality of societies and um how these things aren't going to get solved and how people are going to suffer because of physical disease because of um you know economic disaster like you can just you just look at these things and it's just this giant thing that makes you feel pretty powerless right you can be mm-hmm. like well yes i'm going to try to help a few people in my life. Right. And, but that feel that ends up feeling very small. Right. And that's part of what just staring at Saturn Pluto is right. Cause it's so it's uh, immense and powerful. Um, and you know, with Pluto, um, Pluto is often evolutionary in some, in a, in a sense that is closer to the, the biological sense than a sort of spiritual sense where it's just like, um, ma- uh, the power of the environment to force change, right? The sort of adapt, mm. uh, adapt or perish. Um, you know, it's it's. Um, <laughs> I suppose in some cases it'll it'll correlate with the much gentler um, spiritual evolution sort of uh, idea, but most of the time it's pretty. It's you know it's pretty uh, it's pretty it's pretty brutal, and so it's not that we should um, ignore all of these things and the, the world that we're, that we're in, but, um, staring, you know, it's staring into that abyss for too long. Um, doesn't empower you to make a difference. It can just feel, mm. you know, crushing. Yeah. And so we get to do that for a week and then the sun moves into Leo. Yeah. Three cheers. So that's, I think that's really good to be clear for our listeners that, you know, the staring into the abyss is this sort of, seven to 10 day period. And then it's quite a shift. Uh, so it's, it's a real contrast, I guess, that we get in that third week of July. Yeah. Um, and cause we're, we're also, then Mercury finally gets free of Mars and like Mercury is finally separating from Mars and no longer tied up closely in that, that hard square in those fighting words or the tense sort of verbal altercations that might be, um, signified by that um obviously like once we get so one of the things that's interesting is so much of july is mars moving through and treading through the first half of aries 
which in some level, aside from the Mercury-Mars square, as you were saying, Kelly, might be relatively empowering and some people may be able to use in order to be more effective and to be more sort of forthright or more um, direct than they're used to to usually being. Because um, we're still in this interesting space in July, at least, before Mars gets into its full retrograde period and starts slowing down, where it may still be able to use some of that Aries energy somewhat effectively to, to get stuff done. Yeah. And so speaking of um, sort of what is Mars and Aries good for, um, because, you know, we've had to say, uh, we've had to, you know, uh, as responsible or trying to be responsible astrologers, we've had to say like, you know, this Mars and Aries for six months is, uh, it's going to be, there's going to be some problems, but, um, you know, Mars is good for things. Just here's an example. Mars moved into Aries last night and, <coughs> excuse me. And there were, um, there were some, um, MMA fights that were going to happen anyway. And people thought there would be good fights. And at the end of the night, everyone was like, oh, fight of the year. That was the most amazing display of skill, grit, valor, heart, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, at least the, at least the fights will be good. <laughs> and, you right. know, maybe that's more than just mixed martial arts. Um, there's something to be said for a good fight rather than, you know, a lot of the fights that we encounter. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I was just kind of waking up and feeling some Mars and Aries, um, and this connects with that Mercury is the sort of like, well, let's just like have it out, right? You're mad at me instead of mm. stewing on it, just fucking let me have it. I'll let you have it. Like sometimes that just like, mm. let's just air, you know, let's air it out and it might catch fire, but, um, it's, it's very much a like tired people, uh, being tired of tiptoeing around things. Um, and you know, some of that'll go well, some of it won't, but, um, that's just, you know, that's the, that's the energy. Yeah. And I think what, what I always think of with Mars making a sign change like this out of Pisces into Aries is the dry quality coming in that Mars is by nature, a dry planet. It's been in a wet sign. Well, it's actually been in a wet sign for 12 weeks because air signs do have that wet combination, but certainly Pisces being a water sign. So it's a sense of maybe clarifying there is a sharpness coming back to Mars. Like, what is it, you know, that I want to fight for? What is it that I want to take a stand about? And what you were just saying there, Austin, like that idea of having something out, that to me feels very clarifying. It's like, you know, you've been pissy with me for, you know, a few days or whatever. And like, why? What's going on? You just, and it's like, you just right. get it out in the open. You stop worrying about what it might be, the 25 things that are always worse in your head. And you're like, oh, it's right. this one specific thing. And now we can actually address it. Yeah. I, and, and that's such a nice um, delineation of the movement of Mars in Pisces, sharing Pisces with Neptune, which mm. like aerosolizes or, you know, uh, makes conflict kind of gaseous in everywhere, the way a gas will fill a whole room um, mm. to Aries, where it's like, it's just this one thing, or it's these two right. things, but they're, they're discrete rather than potentially infinite and in all direction. Yes. directions. I think that's really good, Kelly. Yeah. Aries is, is, Aries is about, direct right? and short. Yeah. It, it, straight to the point. It's and, very you know, specific. On a, on, on a relational level, you know, I, um, you know, the, you get to the, there are always periods where you and your, whoever, you know, you're hanging out with where there's like a buildup of tension and you're like, is it this? Is it that? Did I, Yeah. should I, you know, should I do this? And then, 
And then you, when you actually have it out, it's about, you know, one or two things, right? And it, and it becomes, um, should we say, it becomes possible to deal with it when it's a specific thing rather than everything and nothing. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I think that the analogy that came to my mind is like, you know, say you get a bump on your leg or a, like a lump somewhere on your body. And as a woman, maybe you get a lump on your breast or something and you think, oh my God, it, it's cancer. It's this, I'm going to die. You go to the doctor and they do a scan. It's like this one specific thing. And this is what we need to do. And you're like, oh, that's great. My life, you know, is not gone down the worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, that everything and nothing, um, that mm. threat, you know, with Mars, we're talking about threats, feeling that there yeah. are threats everywhere is just murder on, uh, on mental health. Yes. Right. It just, you know, it's anxiety about everything and nothing all the time. Mm -hmm. So all of that being said about Mars and especially Mars and Aries being like short and to the point. And I think a lot of that applies to the majority of July. But one of the things that I'm noticing is that Mars, when it goes retrograde, when it stations retrograde in September, it's going to retrograde all the way back to 15 degrees of Aries before it stations direct, which means that all the way already by late July, by like July 26th, July 25th, 26th, Mars is going to hit, is going to reach shadow. the degree, its shadow period, and it's going to reach the degree that it's later going to retrograde back to. And that's so. That's what's so weird, and what will be weird about this Mars retrograde period is normally something where Mars would just go into the sign and pass through it in about a month or so. It's going to just slow down and then grind over the th the same set of degrees for months and months and months after this point, so that it's going to hit the same degrees three times rather than just this one quick pass that it usually is. Yeah, well, and that's actually part of what's good about the Mars and Aries in July. It for the vast mm. majority of July is that it's not in the shadow. It's not, yeah. Well, we're gonna come back to this and you know grind over it for months. Like these first fifteen degrees are just like like there there's there's the there is the opportunity to just hash some shit out and move on, right? Because Mars is moving on from those fifteen degrees. Mars is not mm. moving on from the second half. The second of the sun. half. That that's where the complicated stuff. Uh, the complicated, multi-layered stuff starts stacking up. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah, that, I'm glad we have made that point because the first three and a bit weeks of July with Mars in Aries, that's like the productive part of Mars in Aries where if there is something that you want to use that specificity or that clarity to act on, you know, I know Mars has got some complications with the square to Mercury and things like that, but Mars in Aries, just from his perspective he's operating pretty free and clear until he gets to 15 yeah. Aries. I guess I would just say to to pay attention because I'd already noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed, but when when that shift happened uh, recently, when Mars went into Aries on the 27th, like I saw some people have a shift happen in their life where suddenly something happened in one specific area because that was Mars not just changing signs, but for everybody also shifting into a new whole sign house. And if mm. that sign is somehow activated for you this year, something that otherwise would just be a one-month transit of Mars quickly taking a jaunt through that sign is going to become a six-month transit of Mars through that sector of your life. So it could be anything that came up on the 27th or so, right around the time of the ingress of June, could um, become larger themes that persist for longer than it seems like they should 
later on? Yeah, I think one way to, to sort of contextualize this personally is that with Mars being in Aries for so long, six months, second half of 2020 calendar, like calendar year, uh, you will get a bit of a masterclass in that part of your life. You will get to understand what you can do, where you have power, where the roadblocks are, where the problems are that need, you know, attention. And and we'll be talking about this more and more as we get into September and October when we dive into the the layers of of Mars in Aries. But you will you will get awareness or insight. You will have to deal with challenges. I don't want to make this seem like it's going to be a walk in the park, but you're going to learn so much about that Aries part of your chart over the next six months. Look at look at Mars stationing direct at 15 Aries in middle of no, middle of November. The November chart, the middle of I, November. Again, it actually stations back. direct on Friday the 13th. Nice. So so that means not only is the Jupiter Pluto conjunction going exact, the third one in the middle of November, but also Mars is stationing direct in the middle of November at 15 Aries. So it's returning back to the degree that it hits in late July. So there's something that happens in late July with respect to Mars hitting that sensitive point of 15 Aries that's going to come back in November when Mars returns back to that degree. But we also have like Mercury stationing direct. Um, in November as well, I believe it stations direct, like right around Election Day. Yeah, or so. Mercury, that, yes, that's yes. fun. Uh, so lots of stuff looming and starting to be the chess pieces are starting to be put into place uh, by late July for trends that will come to full fruition in November. Yeah, when I, I was so I did a like second half of 2020 podcast with Gordon White on Rune Soup a couple of weeks ago, um, <clears throat> and so one of the one of the ways that I ended up talking about you know uh, Mars and Aries, Saturn Pluto, et cetera, et cetera, is like these are um, these are the cards. Like the cards have been turned over. There are going to be mm-hmm. several more hands played, but you know you're playing with these cards. Right. Or your opponents, play, mm-hmm. the other players like these cards are they're in circulation. We know Mars and Aries is going to be uh, active whole rest of the thing. Saturn, Pluto. That's uh, a <laughs> that's that's what is it? Uh, two of a kind. Right. That's a that's a pair um, that's going to be available. And there, there are a couple other things like that where it's all the same stuff kind of that we met at the beginning of the year, but it's remixed. Right. Uh, remixed, mm. and I'm sure I'm sure we'll get rather tired uh, of these particular songs being played on our collective radio. Um, but it's useful to at least know, okay, this is the deal, and you know, and and like we've been saying, you know, pay attention as these cards get uh, reshuffled and played in your life in July, because the stuff that, um, you know, the stuff you see in July is in large part going to tell you about the entire rest of the year. And it might yeah. not be awesome and fun, but it's better to know and to be able to work with, you know, to work with literally the hand that you're dealt, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Uh look at this. The la- all right, last graphic I'm gonna share. <laughs> Chris, I'm gonna I share. I'm gonna, like, You've I'm gonna been like, uh, all of them. This is the the really overwhelming one of the entire year. So this is from Archetypal Explorer that just shows like the Jupiter Pluto uh, conjunctions and cycle, the Saturn Pluto conjunctions, then Mars hitting all of the hard aspects with those outer planets in Capricorn, 
And we are literally right there in the middle of this graph in July when some of that stuff starts to ramp up and it doesn't fully start hitting until August, but that is that is where we find ourselves. Mm. So, yeah. uh on that note, uh I think that's that's bringing us to the end of our forecast for July of 2020. And we will be here every month to keep you informed and help Hopefully. you figure out all of this Mars, uh, Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, all those peaks. I mean, that's going to be our content for the next few months to talk about. Yeah, and we will we will get through it together uh, as a team. Thank you guys for for joining me to tackle this. It's like big stuff and these like forecast episodes that started so casually like five years ago. We're just like, hey guys, want to get together and just talk about the astrology of next month? Uh, I do not think we fully envisioned the gravity of what we would then have to be forecasting a mere five years later and the like seriousness and uh, transits that were are going on at the time. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad that we started that five years ago because this has been uh, amazing and this has been Good getting through it together and sort of grappling with some of these big, you know, weighty topics together as a team, uh, not just with you guys, but also with our listeners. Where we, we had the biggest live audience that we've ever had this month of 175 people. Yeah. So thanks everyone for joining us in the chat. This has been amazing. And thanks in general for the live chat because that also, you know, sometimes guides and informs the things that we talk about like it did last month. Um, mm. So I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, we really appreciate all of you for listening at home or if you're here on the live chat, just uh, thanks for joining us each month. Definitely. Um, so guys, do you have anything you want to mention that you have coming up over the next month? Are you doing any um, teaching? Kelly, do you have any like webinars coming up or you usually have like, tw know. 20 things it seems like? I, <laughs> I know, but July is kind of a mellow month for me. I don't have any new stuff coming out. We're hoping with some of the restrictions lifting here in Europe that we can take a couple of short trips in a safe way, but we'll see how that goes. I will have new workshops uh, and webinars and things uh, coming up for August. The one thing I do have is if you missed any of my talks or my workshop from Norwalk, the recordings, including the video presentation and the slides are now available for purchase on my website, kellysastrology.com. That's really it for me for this month. What about you guys? Austin, do you have any classes coming up, or you're you're basically in the middle of doing all of yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm midstream on my yearly classes. Um, other than that, um, should have if fingers crossed, fingers crossed, um, should get thirty six faces uh, second edition off to the printers by the end of the month. Things are nice. things are relatively on schedule. Um, the illustrations are almost done. I'm super excited about them. Um, Respect and big thank yous to Grant Hanna, who's uh, who's been the artist I've been working with. Um, and I was just thinking, Kelly, it really is the apocalypse that you're not running around teaching everywhere. Don't not you usually have at least, you know, <laughs> six to twelve uh, live things that you're doing every month. Um, but yeah, yeah, oh, and I I suppose I should probably put up my um, uh, my Norwak talks for sale too. So I'll probably get around to you that should. at some point. You should, yes, because there are a lot of people I'm sure that didn't make the Deccan's workshop that would love to hear you. In addition to eagerly waiting for your book, they would love to hear you discuss them with all the energy yeah. oh, and, and enthusiasm. And, and and we have a Sphere and Sundry release sometime in the middle of the month. Got to gotta, gotta elect it. 
maybe maybe we'll push it to Sun and Leo. I don't know. Going to see what days are available. That'll be the Asclepius series. Excellent. We could all use a little bit more of that right now. Yeah, I, I well, appreciated we, the Asclepius series a few months ago when I was dealing with some of the hell stuff. Oh, good. Yeah. It, so basically, um, we were. I was looking at the charts, right? And the the Asclepius star is Russell Hogg, which is towards the end of um, Sag. And the beginning of the year, we we're like, oh shit, we can't put the moon on that star once the South Node moves in. Right, mm-hmm. so it was like an end of elections uh, on that for a year and a half, and oh, so yes, uh, I hu- I hustled and found a pretty good uh, found a pretty uh, not a pretty good a really good election um, just before the nodes change sign. So that'll be that'll be out in second half of this month. Brilliant. All right, uh, all that sounds amazing. Austin's website is austincopic.com. Kelly is kellysastrology.com. Uh, be sure to check out the Queer Astrology Conference, July 10th through the 12th, queerastrology.com, or go to qastro.org is another shortened link for that. Um, check out the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanac. Um, also check out, I'm going to put a link to, um, I was looking for like a good spot for donations for some of the protests and some of the different organizations and things associated with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but I found the best one or the mo- most comprehensive one I found was blacklivesmatter.carrd.co. I'll put a link to that in the description below this video or on the YouTube channel. And there's a link to some great, there's individual like things that you can donate to, but there's also a link to great organizations that are doing important national or global or sometimes community efforts and consider making a donation there to help with everything that's going on. And uh, I think that's it for the end of this episode. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks to all the patrons who fund us each month. I've got some amazing episodes lined up over the next month or two I'm really excited about. Uh, So I'll have more announcements about that soon. But uh, otherwise, we'll see you again next month for the forecast for August. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next time. All right. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks to the patrons who helped to support the production of this episode of the Astrology Podcast through our page on Patreon.com. In particular, shout out to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Arena Tudor, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marilat, and Kate Pallotta. As well as the AstroGold Astrology app, available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, and the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co. The production of this episode of the podcast is also supported by the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting a major astrology conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020. More information about that at isar2020.org. And finally, also Solar Fire Astrology Software, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount on that software. For more information about how to become a patron of the Astrology Podcast and help support the production of future episodes while getting access to subscriber benefits like early access to new episodes or other bonus content, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast.